157 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, again, it's just a carousel of co-host. Uh, <laughs> instead of Robert tonight, we have Sean Gray. Yeah, from Herps. How's it going, Sean? What's up, guys? Good. Yeah, Ro- Robert's busy like earning money and working and stuff. It's fine. I have to leave and go be a good parent. So I'll be back though. No <laughs> fears. So someone has to care about our kid. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, anyways, let's uh, get through our, our sponsor stuff, and then are you ready, Katie? I am. Oh, okay. If you are looking for a high-quality PVC rack, look no further than Lone Star Reptile Racks. They offer a variety of sizes for all types of snakes, geckos, rats, and more. You can even order something custom. Shipping is available, or you can plan to pick up at a Herps Reptile Show near you. Visit ellisreptileracks.com to reach out to Lone Star Reptile Racks and place your order today. Today. Okay. Yeah. That's that's, why he's so busy. That's why he's busy. He is (laughs) building cages. fulfilling orders. He's building cages as we speak. Uh, also, our friends over at Wiregrass Exotics, if you're in South Alabama, Georgia, Florida, that whole area, visit our friends over at Wiregrass Exotics for all your reptile needs. Uh, I just want to give a shout out. I still love the sign every time I look at it. To our friends over at Focus Cubed, uh, Ashley Howdy and Stephen Howdy. This sign is one of my favorite things I own. So every time I walk in here, I just I feel professional. I mean, I know I'm not, but I can feel it when I look at the sign. I thought I knocked your lamp over the other day when I did my tutoring session, but I guess you fixed it. No, it's still down. Oh, sorry. I haven't fixed it. My bad. It's fine. Uh, and then also herps. We have Sean on, so I'll go ahead and go through the dates. I know Sean doesn't remember dates. Uh, I bet he barely. could, <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. <laughs> you know, like the next three or four. There you, know, you go. I even put the. I even have a banner with him up. I'll put it on the on the screen. Oh, Bam! You're people so can see it. I know. Fancy. Uh, th- okay, Sean. What is this weekend? Brian College Station Home Show. Yeah, Brian College Station. So that's March 11th and 12th. Uh, and then off to Waco, Texas, March 25th and 26th. And then back over to Louisiana, April 1st and 2nd. Then uh, Austin, Texas, April 22nd, 23rd. Then Pearland. It's still pr- pronounced Pearland and not Pearland. <laughs> not so, Pearland. Uh, May 6th and 7th. Just excited because I don't have to travel for that one. That's going to be great. Uh, then back to Lake Charles, which will be fun because we haven't been there in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. I know. June third and fourth. Are we in the same same location, right? They fixed it, it's all fixed and Yeah, we're not in the the room we were in though. We're actually in the Coliseum, which is a little larger. Oh cool. Uh, but it's right next door, so it's the same access, entry point, all that good stuff. It'll have like a, a roof that won't make me feel like I'm inside of a hotel room. Yeah. Because exactly. that roof was always so low in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was that triangular building sucked with layouts. It, it, sucked, so. it was the weirdest laid out room. You never it was. Went, it was. Katie, you never went the to the one that. in Lake Charles? Yeah. No, I'd never been to that location. It was weird. It was it was it was good though. It was, uh, yeah, it was a great show. And then the big show back in Conroe on June tenth and eleventh, and then back over. Uh, I would say back. This is a new show for Louisiana. The Shreveport show, June twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Yep. Uh, is this replacing Longview? I know it's close to Longview. No, so we had our date the same date for the Longview show. Uh, they're having some event that has to do with the state government or city government and so basically we got the boot kind of like we did with the rally oh, uh, yeah. last year um so we're moving to shreveport temporarily for that one show okay um it's like 45 minutes away or whatever so mm-hmm. we'll be That's back in longview close. 2024 yeah it's not that far um if we go but- we can eat at strawn's and get strawberry pie sorry i just <laughs> got real excited <laughs> 
No, it's okay because I was thinking about Steamboat Bills when you were talking about Lake Charles. <laughs> uh, so the Shreveport would be good. That's the, I could bring in people from Mississippi and all. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a good area. Arkansas. Arkansas. And that whole Shreveport Bossier City area is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that is our shows. Could be fun. Uh, also, if you want to save 15% on your LED UVB bulbs from VivTech, use code GUMBO22. Uh, I strongly recommend anybody that needs a LED bulb, if you haven't tried a VivTech bulb yet, uh, you're really just spending way too much money on everything else. Uh, those other bulbs burn up faster, and I've had so much success with VivTech. I know, Sean, you carry them in your store. Yep, we carry uh, them and we use them. So. Yeah, So, and uh, Robert Very uses cool. them. I, I love them. Gumbo 22. Go use that code. Save 15% on your bulbs. I think that's it. The got my sponsors covered? I think so. We're good. Okay. So let's go ahead and get to our guests. Cause, uh, I'm excited. I am too. I'm I'm, ex- I'm super excited. <laughs> I mean, he told me that I wasn't loud enough. He's automatically yeah. my favorite person yeah, well. in the entire <laughs> world right now. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, so our guest tonight is uh, Mike Stefani from Mike's Monitors. How's it going, Mike? Good, good, good. So um, when we were in the... Uh, when we were pre-showing it or whatever, uh, and I told Katie that you guys were kind of quiet. Well, I, I never knew this because I'm low-tech old man. I tried to turn my volume up, and when I did, I noticed the three dots. So I pressed on the three dots, and then I seen, I don't know, like a control panel. And I turned up. It looked like a music note. So I turned it up. So now oh, I hate so to bust the bubble, Katie. Sad you're day. too loud. Not no, okay. too <laughs> Trust me, she I'm always playing, I get, man. I get told that all the time. Even my yeah. students are like, Miss Lewis, tone it down some. <laughs> yeah. No, we're good, man. We're good. I appreciate these inviting me on. Yeah, everybody. I, so I've told a handful of people, and everybody was excited. Uh, I do want to say uh, Ashley Howdy, uh, she's busy building cages right now, but she was super excited you were going to be on and said that she really liked your coming eye, and I just thought it sounded dirty to tell you that. Uh, yeah. But she really likes them. If it wasn't in the monitor world, that might be a little uh, shaky ground. But <laughs> I, I, I get people, they, they tell me, I, I would like, I'm interested in your Kamingai or Kaminji. And I mean, the names just go on and on and on. It's it's coming I. They're trying their That's, hardest not to say it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. But it's all good. I understand what everybody's saying. So how many species are you up to now? Uh, well, you know what I did? Um, oh, probably about about a year and a half ago, I was up to 11 species. And I've never been a big dwarf Australian guy, the Audatria family. Um, but when I was hitting real good with my Mertens, I, I produced uh, like over 200. Jeez. So, it, you know... When you got that many and you're selling and you're doing good and people, they, they, they came to me, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not really about money. I'm more about the love of the animals and people and, you know, seeing people happy with animals. And, and I want to see the animals do good, too. So I did a lot of trading. So I got up to, like I said, 11 species. I had um, King Gorham, Gil and I, Pilbarensis. I had Ackies and Glowardi. Uh, I kept those for like two years, and man, oh man, you talk about a hamster wheel. It was just, it was every two months eggs, every three months hatching, <laughs> two months eggs hatching, boom, boom, boom. And it was, it became 
like a job. And, and you know, I'm a retired cement finisher, so I, I'm not looking to do this to make money. I'm not looking to be on a hamster wheel. So after a few years and, you know, lots and lots of hatchlings, I sold off my young breeders to, uh, you know, friends and people that I know, let them work with them. Um, but, you know, we are reptile junkies. I mean, for real. <laughs> so when I when I did away with all my Australian uh, audatrias, I, I got back into um, Similis, which is my favorite species. That's an audatria. Um, and I worked with those for like... 30 years over over the 30 years i had like five different groups and of those five different groups you know i was always very hopeful to breed them but i've never seen a hemipene in similis i've never um i've never seen head bobbing no courtship they were just very indifferent with each other they, they got along great in their enclosures and again it's my favorite species i love them um but when I got back into them, uh, I started with, I found one adult. And, uh, man, I just love my guy. I couldn't resist. So somebody wanted to trade. So I made a good trade deal. Uh, another guy. Now, of course, when you get one, it's, you know, the word gets around or whatever. <laughs> so another gentleman locally, uh, he was an older guy, older than me even. Uh, really nice guy. He's a hobbyist. He's not looking to breed or nothing. But um, he's seen an ad in Fauna and, uh, you know, the Fauna Classifieds. And um, he said, uh, you have Kimberly Rocks. I'm like, yeah, I got Kimberly Rocks. He goes, well, we, you know, I see you're interested in trading for Similis. I said, you know, I mean, this is an older guy. I'm like, he probably don't even know what a Similis is. So he goes, oh, I have a Similis and I'd be willing to trade. And I'm like, OK, well, send me a picture. So the guy sends me a picture and a short video, and man, that that similis that he sent me, it looked like a female. So I I, e I emailed him back or whatever text, and I said, um, "Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Hey, but I want to talk to you. Can you send me your phone number?" The guy sends me his phone number. It's the same area code as me. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm like, I'm like, wow. Not only you know, and it's local, so. We made a deal, and I got that animal. Um, still, I've, now thirty years work over thirty years working with these animals. I I pretty much have sexing down, you know, to a science by visual looking, and uh, similis are hard, man. It's really hard to sex these things. <clears throat> so, we made the deal. I had the two adults put them in a cage, taking care of them, and. So the, the one that I, the first one I had got was beefy. It looked like a male, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one I got from this older gentleman who lives out here by me, um, probably, I wouldn't say, I would say probably the best taken care of similis I've ever seen because it wasn't fat. I mean, these things get fat quick, especially like on a rodent diet and, and that's a whole, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about, but, yeah, I got plans. Yeah. So I got the, these two animals, and again, I've had them for like over a year. I've never seen no head bobbing, nothing. And of course, I'm very patient, so I figure I'll find more as, you know, they become available. Well, my friend, uh, my good friend, John Adranya, I'm sure you all know him. 
sim container. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's got them too, and another friend of mine too, Steve Saint, and we're we're kind of like long term uh, working with the species. And uh, Steve gotten really close. Uh, I th- I believe he had some eggs dropped, but never hatched. So I kept telling uh, John, "Hey man, uh, you know, I think he had like four or five, or whatever." I'm like, "Come on, man, John, sell me a similis. Sell me a, you know, I'm, a, I'm like addicted to this shit." So uh, can I swear? Yes, oh yes, you can. Oh okay, I don't swear too much, but I, I don't want to. You know, I hate doing the oops. So. Um, so he kept, you know, John kept, I seen him at monitor fest and we, we, there's a little running joke. Uh, Brian Waterloo puts on monitor fest. He's got a full size Nile crocodile, uh, replica skull. It's huge. So, um, I, I said, Hey John, take a picture. I'm going to put my head in there. So I put my head in it in the crocodile's head and John snapped a few pictures. But when he took the pictures, it looks like he's pushing down on the crocodile head with my head in his mouth. Oh, my gosh. So I posted the picture up and I said, don't ask John a dragnet to sell you his stimulus. This is what you get. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But then John finally broke down and he sold me one, a really nice young little animal. And um, I'm surprised he did. He, the price tag he put it on was indicative of he didn't want to sell it and if this guy buys it for that money i will sell it Mm. so i came up with the money my wife was not too happy with me uh but it is what it is i mean i I recoup the money i usually always recoup the money that must be Um, nice yeah well you know i I did not turn and look at you okay oh i see i I wasn't sure where you were going with that Uh i should have figured it out um, It'll happen one day. Yeah, one day. It's okay. <laughs> okay, so now I got the three. I got the two big ones in my beautifully decked out similis enclosure. It's custom. It's made pretty much. I mean, you could use it for other species, but I designed it for the similis. Um, so now I got the three. I got a little five-incher, probably a few months old. I mean, it's really small. So... Um, so now I'm raising that one separately in a very simple setup, and I'm tongue feeding it, getting it real used to, you know, my presence and my ugly mug. If I don't know how they do it, but they overcome their fear of this crazy-looking monkey guy. <laughs> so um, a few more became available from uh, Blake Wilson uh, yep, again. Yeah, kept them. He's a great guy. Kept them separate, tongue crazy. feeding them. Oh. <laughs> He's yeah, crazy. He, He's a crazy guy. I don't. Yeah, I don't like is. him being around my daughters and shit. But yeah. <laughs> no, he really. Love I love Blake. that guy. Yeah. He is really a good Blake. guy. And then uh, my uh, close friend Nick Lillis. I call him nephew. I call everybody nephew because or niece because I'm old. Whatever. So now I got these four separated out, and I'm tongue feeding them, and I'm getting them, you know, socialized, getting them used to coming out on my arm and whatnot. So now they're starting to put on a little size and man, me and my sons, we, I'm looking at them and they're like, no, dad, you can't do it. I'm like, do it sooner or later. So I I take the four ones that I've been raising up and they're quite a bit smaller than my adults. And if you know anything about similates, they're, they're, they're an aggressive species. They're not, 
they're not the most tactile. They're, they're, they could be grumpy and they'll, they don't hesitate to bite you. They're not afraid of you. And they puff up their heads. They're just really cool animals. That's why I love them so much. So I put the six of them in there. Everybody's getting along. Well, the little one I got from Nick Lillis, which is my smallest. Uh, man, crazy story with that thing. It escaped three times like in the first day I got Jeez. it. But I found it every time. So uh, we, his name is Houdini. So we put them all in there. And my biggest one started messing with Houdini. And I'm like, ah, everybody's getting along, but the big one is kind of pissed off at Houdini. So I pulled the big one out. I put it separate. Now I got five in there, and they're all getting along. And, man, after after 30 years of keeping this species and never seeing a head bob, uh, you know, any kind of courtship behavior, a hemipene, nothing. Uh, the one I got from John, I'm watching it on the log one day, and it took a crap, and it averted. So I'm like, okay, well, we at least have a male uh, that I, you know, can confirm as a male. So, um, you know, me and my me and my sons and a couple of my daughters, we'll, we'll sit and watch this stuff like it's a TV show, you know. And because uh, yeah, you have like 700 kids, right? Well, I have I have eight, so yeah, a <laughs> that's few a good short size family. But... What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm one of seven. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I have five daughters and three sons. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, don't let Blake anywhere near your family. <laughs> No, you know what though? We're we're Italian. We're short, but we're mighty. And my daughters, they don't play around. I People imagine. they approach them a little bit like that, and it only takes a few minutes. You know, they I think they get the uh, the hint of the mustache, and, and they're they're like, but no, they're 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 good kids, and they're they're tough little kids. I mean, they take care of themselves. I love it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's more dangerous to cross my daughters than my sons because they don't give a shit. They're like little honey badgers. <laughs> so, uh, so of the five that I have in there now, everybody's getting along real well. Uh, but I noticed the one that I got from that old gentleman locally here became real skittish and standoffish and hide a lot. So I'm like, you know what? I took her. I took. I call her her. I don't know for sure. So I took her out, put her in with the other male. Now I got the four in there and I'm starting to see head bobbing, you know, courtship behavior, that male chasing a couple of the other ones. Um, and then I, I'm shooting a video and, I, and as I'm shooting the video, it was a great video. The, um, the male was sitting on top of one of the females, but they were just sitting there, right? No head bobbing, no nothing. And I, as I'm videoing, I see him start, you know, doing the wavy gravy on oh, her yeah. back. And he's trying to hoist her tail up with his back leg. So, man, I'm getting, I'm super excited. I mean, after so long of never seeing anything, I'm getting really excited about it. Then, if you know anything about monitor lizards, when they go into a cycle, they become blown up uh, with, um, you know, you know, in their cycle, uh, they're um, they're ovulating, yeah, and they're building up uh, in ovulation, and they do a, a belly hang. So I noticed the one that I suspect is a female. She starts doing her little belly hang. I got pictures of it and everything, and I'm not familiar. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with my cage building and stuff. Yes, very. It's okay. Well, I made that arboreal termite mound for that cage. Yeah, Be beautiful. Uh, it, 
extra tur- extra nest site. I mean, it, the whole cage is nesting, but I figured another nest spot couldn't hurt, and I like doing that stuff. So mm-hmm. I made this arboreal termite mound. I mounted it on a log, and it's it looks beautiful. Uh, never once did I see one go in there. So, but whatever, you know. I mean, I like doing that shit. Um, so one night just before lights out, I always come down and check where everybody's at. I see one, two, three. I'm looking now, you know, because of the Houdini. I'm uh, I'm looking all over. I got the flashlight out. I'm looking all over. So I open the door. I go in there with the flashlight, and I can hear the one because, like I say, these things got balls. I, I hear the one going, just huffing and puffing. I'm looking all over. I can't find it. So I look in the nest box. Sure as shit, after the belly hang, she's in there test digging. So. I'm hoping I'm just about 30 days or less away from my first clutch ever of Simulus, which would be huge for me. That's so exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I hate to shoot the – I had to tell the story, man, because I'm excited. Oh, no, that's awesome. You should be. Thank you. And if anybody's not familiar with – with your setups go go watch dave coffin he's been there i googled the lizard so now i know what it but i know <laughs> but dave's been there and he's filmed them you have zoo quality setups in your basement yes thank you that you know um so along with having a passion for these animals uh and when i say animals i i've been i've ran the gamut everything but like um furries i i don't really do like um I don't know. Mike is not a fan of furries. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan of furry animals or furry. You know what I'm saying. I don't want to get myself in trouble because I can do that. I often do that. But yeah, so I'm not, I mean, I I love rats and mice. I don't want to see them get hurt, but I I have no desire to keep, you know, pygmy possums and hamsters and gerbils, shit like that. I, I don't really care. So, um, all my life as a little kid, uh, growing up, I, my mom would buy me things like a boa constrictor or whatever. And she was a single mom. And, you know, the, the animal was pretty expensive for a single mom working, raising two kids. Um, and, you know, I had little 10-gallon tanks with screen tops. And, of course, it's never good enough for me. So uh, one time when I was a kid, me and my buddies, I seen an old council TV. And when you're from my era in the 70s, a console TV was like a, a box car, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A, it They're amazing. The, it became the TV stand for the next TV. That- yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. With the stereo in it. Correct. <laughs> yes. you know? So um, me and my buddy put it on my bicycle. We balanced it all the way to my house. <laughs> we broke the, the big giant tube out of it, put a piece of plexiglass on it, set it up real naturalistic, naturalistic in my mind, what I think is naturalistic for the area, you know, never been there. So, but it looks nice. So as much as keeping and breeding these animals, I love setting up naturalistic setups, be it fish tanks. Uh, I mean, even I've kept birds and, and stuff and I've never kept them traditionally like people do. I always put my spin on it, make it look natural, fake plants, real plants, whatever the case may be, you know, uh, it's just something nice to look at. It's good for the animals, and it's good for, you know, myself, because I just I love that shit. Uh, my grandmother was an artist, so I've always been around art and aesthetics and stuff, and it, it rubbed off on me uh, in the animal world. So yeah. 
Yeah, I take pride in making my cages look really nice and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's a big part of it for me. As much as the animals is building a nice setup. For when them. you use that, that Zoopoxy stuff to make it for the backgrounds and the hardened rocks. And so that stuff holds up to like monitors. Because, I mean, it's way different having something hold up to a corn snake versus holding up to some of these large monitors that are just going to tear things up. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's designed, Polygem Zoopoxy is designed for, um, you know, large cats, birds of prey. I mean, you could do anything with this stuff. And it's as hard as concrete. And it's lightweight, too. It's really nice stuff. So if you, if you haven't checked it out, um, a friend, my friend Steve Sane and I started a, a Facebook group type thing. It's called Polygem Zupoxy Vibrarium Construction. Anybody who's interested in making naturalistic setups, um, it's not only polygem stuff there. But, you know, other people have other ways of doing it. But like you said, with monitors... If you're using uh, grout or thin set, any of those uh, cement type products, what happens is even the littlest ones like King Gorham and stuff, if they get a little nail in there and they start digging, once they get through to the eighth of an inch of cement product and they get back into the um, the medium like a, a styrofoam or something, yeah, they're gone. They'll tunnel in there and the only way to get them out is to bust that whole thing up. That's why when I started, uh, I wanted a, something very durable. And again, what's nice about the Polygem Zupoxy is uh, it's not toxic to floral and fauna. So it's good for inside fish tanks, anything, really anything. And, and you're, 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 you're only limited by your imagination. So I always tell people, if you can see it in your mind's eye with Polygem Zupoxy and a little bit of research, Man, you can make anything you want. Serious. Yeah, I just, I, I just actually requested to join that because, um, uh, actually, and uh, Stephen from Focus Cube made my, my, my counter at my pet store, and it's for my ackies actually. Uh, and I used sewage tubing under the substrate and did a big S because uh, Pete Mimikos, I'm, I'm sure you know who Pete is. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he told me that the ackies will dig till they can't see light. Um, so for my nest box, it's under the ground. I have a little probe camera down there. And I used one of those like poly domes to make sure that nothing would cave in on them. But I, it's big, long S, like probably eight foot tubing, uh, that runs down and it's all hidden with cork and rock and stuff. So that stuff looks really cool. I'll, I'm, I'm working on some new stuff for the pet store. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting, I'm actually getting a pair of Kimberly rocks, um, well, um, pretty soon. Mike's Kimberly rock sleep, cage so. is awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, when I, I see, here's the problem with, uh, like, these species-specific enclosures that I build. So when I got out of Audatria, of course, that cage looked like Outback Australia or, you know, the Kimberley region, all the iron ore, rocky uh, outcroppings <laughs> and stuff. So when I sold my group of Kimberley rocks, I was so, I was so happy when uh, Josh Alder from Exotic Empire uh, he's a great dude. I do a lot of business with him. He bought my everything. My he bought my Kimberly to set up the the two point uh, two group that I had, and now he's working with them. But that that's kind of like like I don't know if you guys can see this. I'll try to. Can you see the whiskey barrel up there? That yeah, is very cool. I can make it even bigger. Hold on, I'll make it there. People see a little better. Okay, so that is. 
Uh, that is like a trophy for a guy like me. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have Audatrinas anymore. And that is what I used to bring to the uh, NARBC shows to display my um, Audatrinas, Kimberly Rocks, Ackies, Gill and I, whatever I had, I would display them in there and sell babies out of it. So when I got rid of all of that, you know, my wife and my wife don't like the barrels because it's a lot of work bringing them to shows. And then I, you know, if I spring a leak, I got to sit there and deal with it, which, which I, I I never really had a problem. I had a leak one time, but I fixed it before the show started and everything was good. But I love that. Like I was telling you, I love these animals and I love the enclosures that I build. So that is so unique to me. It's like a trophy for me that when I got rid of all my Odatra, all my Odatras, my wife said, oh, you got to get rid of the barrels now. What are you going to put them? I'm like, please <laughs> i'll think of something so i'm thinking i'm thinking the knob tail geckos and i'm going on and on and my buddy ralph polinski um showed me years ago a pair of anthill pythons that he had yeah and and i i just said wow man anthills would probably fit perfect in there so um with a little bit of sweet talking and maybe i bent his arm a little bit I traded Ralph for his anthill pythons, and now that's what I keep and breed in there. So oh, awesome. Yeah, so as long as I could find something to put in the enclosure, I'm never going to get rid of it. No, we don't We don't get rid of shit. We I know some other people it. like that, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, you know, it's a cage. It's not, I mean, I could, if I didn't want to use it anymore, I could put it, oh, my God, I hope my wife's not listening. I could put it in the back, <laughs> I could put it in the back of the basement and leave it there for years and take it out and redo it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the the river barrel, are you sure? Are you guys familiar with the river barrel? Yes, I, I am. That. I've seen it. Oh, okay, that's it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful enclosure too. So that's like about a quarter of a barrel, and then the river barrel is like the other um, two thirds or whatever it would be, three quarters, whatever. And I had designed that one for putting in my water monitors, my coming eye and sulfurs. And uh, again, another beautiful setup that I just can't part with. So I got another dilemma on my hand. I'm like, ah, what, you know, what am I going to put in there? So uh, my wife owns a business called Aquatics here in uh, Chicago, and they, she sells um, wholesale tropical fish. Well, John Carlson, he rents space from her above the building, and he has, uh, what the heck is it? exclusively exotics. Where he he does wholesale, like uh, bread and butter stuff for pet shops, chameleons and anoles and iguanas and feeders and stuff like that. So, um, man, my wife doesn't even know what she did. She comes home one day with a little deli cup and literally two froglets about the size of my pinky. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you want me to get rid of this and that? You just gave me something to put in there. So I raised those tiny little frogs up. Um, you know, I love animals and I, I don't know nothing. I don't know much about frogs. I mean, I can, I can take care of them. I don't know sexing them or anything like that. Well, these two little fuckers turn out to be a pair. Oh, shit. And, and I literally, I get probably thousands and thousands of eggs a year out of them. And I've brought two to um, one went, to a tadpole and the other one turned into a froglet and I gave it to one of my son's friends. 
but yeah, I, I, I don't do good with frog eggs for some reason. I could keep them in there, but I have filtration on there and no grid, you know, no yeah. grin or whatever you call it. So whenever I leave them in there and they turn to tadpoles, they get sucked up. So I really wish I could figure them out how to, you know, how to turn them into little froglets. But I, I, I there's always something. So, yeah. But at any rate, I hate to babble, but that's what I'm doing. So the thing I find interesting about you, Mike, is that in this hobby, there there's a lot of different types of people. But you're one of those like self-made reptile people. You're not, you're not a, a science background, and you're not someone who is. You are. A, I like monitors. I got monitors. I like. To, I can build stuff. I built shit, and and now I can breed monitors. And so when someone talks about monitors, you're one of the first names that pops up now. Even though you're not this person who's gone to the middle of Indonesia and studied monitors in the wild or, or Australia or whatever, right? And so I find I, that kind of super cool about you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I I guess. I, I am self-taught or whatever you would call it. I'm not an academic or I'm I'm a, I'm a retired cement finisher for Christ's sake. I, I swear I pee outside. I, I'm not, you know. I this just man is a, slowly becoming one of my favorite people on this planet. I just need yeah. to say that. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, again, not not coming from money. I kind of had a, you know. Like my wife says, I'm a, uh, I'm a, what does she call me? I'm a hoarder. So I'm, I'm like a All junk All people are. Yeah. If, if I see, if I see a fan on the side of the road and I need a fan, well, I'm not going to Walmart. I'm going to take that fan and rewire it. And I got a fan for free. I love people so that can do that. I, I do that with everything. I from love these, that. These chairs that I sit on, I, I'm, I am a little weird about chairs. If I see a chair in a garbage. And it's like an office type chair. I got to get it. My wife's like, no, she won't stop the car. I'm like, I open the door. I'm like, I'm jumping out. Like, okay. Okay. I'll stop. So she'll stop. And I, and I get the chairs, but I don't know. I'm weird that way, but I repurpose a lot of stuff, you know, like the whiskey barrels. That was a, um, that was a dream since I was a kid, but it never, I mean, the whiskey barrels, you have to buy with those big blue 55 gallon drums. Yeah. You can get them free, at, you know, almost anywhere. I live in an industrial yeah. area when mm -hmm. I was growing up. Yep. So you, you can get them free anywhere. And it, most of them are um, food grade. So there, there's no chemicals in them and stuff. It's like oil and vegetable oil or whatever. So that was always my dream is to have a whole wall of those because in my head, I was going to cut a square out of the front and just take the, the thin Lexon that you get at uh, Home Depot or whatever, hinge one side, and just as you close it, it'll wrap around the barrel, and then just pin it off. I'd figure out a way to lock it down. Um, so then when I got a little older, I seen these barrels. And I'm like, wow, that would even be cooler. So I made the barrels. And man, the, the Mike's monitor barrel, the big one. Yeah. Oh my God, that thing was not easy to do, um, because again, you you know the the wooden barrels, they're um, they curve this way as well as this way. So I had to figure out how to get my glass to bend both ways. It wasn't easy, but with a lot of tinkering and and you know using these little um, uh, little 
metal rods that I'd get at Ace Hardware. I bent them. It, it was a tedious job, but me and my sons, we did it. It looks beautiful. And yeah, I'm not getting rid of them. My wife says, well, put it in the auction. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> that would make <laughs> so much like, money no. if you put your barrels yeah, you, in one of those yeah. auctions. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the problem. And I told my wife this and she kind of relented. I'm like, okay, I'll put it in there. She goes, I don't like the way you said that. I said, well, you want me to put it in there? She goes, but then you're just going to go get another barrel. I said, damn right. I'm going to go get another barrel and build another one. 100%. So she knows me too good. Oh my That's gosh. what's funny. I, I think you know people hear about you making these things yourself. Again, I can't. I, I feel like it's understated. Like The quality that your cages and your barrels okay. are. So... So you said Chicago, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm married into this hobby. So he's been super excited since he found out you were coming on the podcast and I knew that you did monitors and that that's, I'm going to go ahead and be that person. That's really all I knew. Um, so you said Chicago. So I'm assuming that you, do you vend Tinley? Yeah. Oh yeah. I vend, I vend both Tinleys, uh, spring and fall. I used to, I did Schomburg once, but it, it's just too much, you know, um, uh, it's, too much work and too much cost. So when I'm at Tinley, I want to enjoy myself. But while the show's going on, I'm working. I'm not, you know, I, I'm shaking hands, kissing babies. That's what they tell me. Uh, I'm networking with people and talking. So I decided not to do the Schomburg no more. So that way, I, and that's only an hour from my house. The other one's an hour and 40 minutes. So Schomburg, I'm just going to go and hang out and, you know, talk. And then I could be there. But what I plan on doing is this Schomburg, uh, the Saturday night, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if, if maybe they will, probably will bust my plans, but uh, they usually don't have the auction at Schomburg. So Saturday night, I'm just going to invite some people an hour up to my house and uh, we'll have a barbecue and then a bonfire and then everybody can go back where they got to go. So, so you said that you take the barrels to the show with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I remember to. his booth. He was there. Yeah. We were there in 2019. We've only been there once. Yeah. I think I remember that. He had a cool, Yeah. He had a cool setup well, and then you could if you I mean I'm a I'm a shameless self promoter. If you go on my Instagram or Facebook, you'll I don't see have all an my Instagram. setups. <laughs> all right, so so I have a question for you. I don't I have, have an Instagram or a Twitter. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, so Mike, um I, I work with worked with a lot of wine barrels um my wife has a wine bar and i had to take shit apart and repurpose it kind of like you i built tables and lamps and all kinds of crazy shit so what, what people don't understand whenever you're talking about just working with the wine bar- barrel it's not a solid piece there's stays and oh. the bands are if you cut just a hole in the middle of that thing it's all gonna fucking fall apart yeah so you've got to like pin every single stave to the metal bands before you even start working on cutting everything out because it's all Pressure. It all works. It's a bunch of pieces that all work as one unit once it's done. So to to cut even one band, it you lose the integrity of that thing. So like you said, yeah, I had to go around with the steel band. We had to take a a steel bit and drill into the the band. Then we had to take uh, self-tapping screws, go through Mm -hmm. the band into the oak. Uh, slats or whatever you call them. Yeah, and the same thing. Yo, you did that? Yeah, so I, I made um, a table for my wife with two big wine barrels, but I had to have shelves in it. So it was oh. like a countertop. So mm-hmm. I had to go through and put, 
you know, self-tapping machine screws all the way in around the band before I even started cutting anything yep. out. Uh, and then take just like a sawzall and go around the area that I'd marked out uh, and hope to God it didn't just explode into a thousand pieces. So, yep. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking it the first time yeah. you do it. You're not yeah. sure if it's going to work. It sounds great in your head, but, you know, physics with that many working parts. But it worked out in the end. And you know what? When I see people making, like you said, a bar, table, st uh, stools or, or chairs, really comfortable looking yeah. chairs, too. I said, if they can do that, I can do this. And I did yeah. it. So uh, in the chat, Luke from uh, Lizard Morse in Australia asked if you're going to Arlington. Uh, sure. That's a little far from home, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, I would love to, Luke. Um, I would love to, Luke. But again, I don't fly. I don't. It's not that I'm afraid to fly. I just don't want no one patting me down. I don't want. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't. I, I, I'm not that kind of a people yeah, person. Right. So it's too far. And then you know, I'm a one man show here. My kids help me, but for me to be gone that far away for that long, if something went south. I'd be in. I just. I wouldn't be. I'd have a miserable time just thinking about being back home. I'm a homeboy. You know what I mean. But I would love to go sometime. But I, I don't think I have that kind of time. I wish I did. I want to go back and talk about lizard dicks real quick. So <laughs> okay, because <laughs> this happened last night. Actually, it's pretty funny. Um, one of my uh, really good friends is a, a, a really good exotic vet. <clears throat> Uh, was talking to me about this 70 plus baritone species, right? Each one of them has a different hemipene. peak. Uh, oh, yeah. Can, like, they're all different, every single one of them. And he was doing a necropsy on a subadult blackthroat. Um, oh, man. Inflamed, like uh, its liver, I believe. It had a bunch of abscesses in, it, in its intestines. Uh, but there's a muscle that runs along the bottom of the base of the tail that is what averts and retracts the hemipene. And it's yep. like the length of the tail. So he actually sent me a picture and he's cutting it open and showing me. And I'm like, holy shit, that's the coolest thing. I mean, gross, but it's the coolest thing I've ever seen because it's, you know, studying anatomy and you're not knowing about it. But that's one thing I didn't know about is, is variants is every single one of them are different. Yeah. Even, even within the uh, verandas, everyone is different. And man, like the first time, you like on a big lizard, like a white throat or a black throat or my sulfurs, man. When it, you know when they evert and these two yeah. giant, ugly pink purple flowers with hooks <laughs> sticking out of them, yeah. I, I just look at them. I'm like, wow, man. That's like you know, that's like Johnny Holmes. And then I think about the girl, and I'm like, oh, that poor thing. Got to have that thing poor stuck thing. up in her, clawing at her, and yeah, they're. <laughs> They're pretty wicked looking. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I'm just, just saying, as as a, a human, a male human, we got pretty lucky on the penis lottery. When you well, think I'm things glad like you did. I, I, <laughs> they, call, they tell me I'm hung like a can of tuna fish, so it's not real long, but it's got a lot of girth. It's like a cheese wheel. Yeah, cheese wheel. There you go. I'm just thinking like ducks, it's corkscrewed. Cats, it like, oh, goes in and it sticks yeah. in there and hang. Like They can't get like dogs will get stuck together uh, yeah then they face the other way yeah. what's that all about man at least look <laughs> at the lady right <laughs> and then you see like people that own sulcatas with that giant alien dick that comes oh, out yeah, of the yeah, back yeah. of sulcata just yeah. like, like the head of a flatworm yeah uh, yeah like, we trust me we have big tortoise you know what the, the sulcata tortoise probably has a bigger uglier hemipene than 
like white throats or these giant sulfurs. But yeah, now that you mention that, yeah, the sulcata tortoise has a pretty big nasty thing. It makes me quite jealous. <laughs> Chris said like a like a birthday cake. Yeah. <laughs> I just always love when someone posts the picture of their uh, Sulcata's penis for the first time online. I'm like, what is this? And everybody's like, it's a penis. That's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> you have a boy. I, I like when they say, will somebody help me, please? I think my uh, my tortoise is pooping its insides out. I'm like, no. It's <laughs> no. just a small part of its insides. <laughs> It'll go back. Just give it time. Yeah. Uh, so I asked two questions to our listeners this week. Uh, and I talked to you about asking a question. I kind of worded it uh, a little broader, but I asked two. I want to I want to go over. There was one I came up with myself, and then I'll go over the one that kind of came from your question. But my first one was, "What do you think is the most common mistake when keeping monitors?" Uh, so I want to go through these, and then I want to ask you some of the common mistakes that you've seen with people, either with customers or just that you see just being in in the hobby. But um, Ashley Howdy said size and believing that they'll become tame. She said it took years of work to get her uh, to get hers to where they are today, and one of them still uh, only allows pats every once in a while, which I imagine is probably her croc monitor. Uh, Brett Bender said not providing a varied diet, which is probably across the entire reptile hobby an issue. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I'm guilty of it with snakes. I mean, I, I feed rats and mice because I have rats and mice, and they're easy to get. I, I'm guilty of that one, uh, but I think for some of these other animals, it's probably way more necessary. Uh, our buddy Drew Scholes at the Learning Zoo said not enough space, which is definitely one. Uh, improper substrate, incorrect diet, uh, especially for savannas. And savannas, I think, are, are unfortunately the most <laughs> abused of all monitors. Absolutely. Uh, and then Isaac House said not enough space in the enclosure and a varied diet. Uh, what are some of the things you've seen that are the biggest issues? Okay, well, let, let's let's try to tap on. That's a lot. But yeah. we'll try to tap on a few and then a few that – um, so this year I'm doing a talk at the International Herb Symposium. They invited me to do a talk. And, you know, I mean, to me, that's like, that's like, you know, getting an Academy Award or something for whatever, you know, or a basketball trophy. You know See, what I mean? That's the kind of thing I was talking about. That's kind of cool. You're, you're not a, an academic person, but people come to you for knowledge on monitors because you've gained a ton of knowledge just by taking care of them. Absolutely. So this this um this the one of the first things you had said was um socializing and and trust me i never use the word tame and when i do i always do this i don't know why it looks stupid but <laughs> taming is it's not the proper word when you're dealing with varanids probably with most uh reptiles what what you're doing is you're building a trusting relationship with these animals and it's more that they tolerate you yeah. uh, through trust than that's the word. That's the word that we use when we tell people they're not tame; they're tolerant. They're tolerant of human presence. So, you know, when I start kicking out all these babies, and you know, I, I really care more about my animals than I do about people. Uh, it's just the bottom line. It, it is what it is. These animals don't have a choice. Uh, people do, you know. So. Yeah, people say, well, I've heard force handling, and you know what? After all these years of doing this stuff, I finally came up with a formula, and that's what my talk at the IHS is going to be about, which is crazy to me that I'm going to go there, and and I'm not trying to be arrogant because I, I really try to be as humble as I can, but I'm going to school these people 
on what it takes to socialize in uh, a monitor lizard. So um, these cages, let me see if I can get to get, get you off of this. Oh, boy. So I developed this caging system over the years, um, especially when breeding the uh, Mertens monitors. So they're, you got to think of them like, you know, especially uh, Mertens monitors, uh, any of the water monitors, they're uh, riverine type uh, monitors that seek shelter in water and uh, you know, even think, think like a, uh, like a baby alligator. So they hatch and they stay near the shoreline in the weeds where they have a less chance of being eaten. Uh, sure. There's wading birds and big frogs and fish. So that, you know, they just do that. They do their best. But I was thinking to myself, you know, why the water, you know, and here's what in my own thought pattern and process is okay. So they feel the water gives them their best chance at life. So the water is their main source of security, right? So what I've done, like if you if you take any of these babies and you put them in a, you know, and we'll, we'll just say a 40 breeder type Exoterra and you put whatever proper substrate on the bottom and you give them some plants and a water dish and a couple of hides and branches to climb on. Well, what they do is they're not secure because they don't have that water access. So they go and they hide and, and they'll hide in a plant or they'll hide in a cork tube or, you know, the worst case scenario is usually what happens. The most secure place is under their water bowl. So people take these animals, any animal, wild caught, whatever it is, and they put them in these setups. Okay. But they're not ready for these setups yet because um, what happens is people get these animals, they spend some money on them. And they look in their cage and they, they have the empty cage syndrome where they never see their animal. So what's the first thing they do? Well, let me, I'm going to take this plant out. Uh, okay, it's not behind a plant. I'm going to take the cork tube out. Not behind the cork. I'm going to move the water dish. So they move the water dish and there it is just shitting, thinking, oh, my God, this giant monkey just figured me out. <laughs> and, you know, and if worst comes to worst, they'll burrow in their substrate. Now you tear up the substrate and this thing's like, oh, my God, this is Godzilla. I no matter where I go, I can't hide from this. So now you've just reinforced its fear. So what I've what I've developed is in an Exoterra. Now, these are these are my raise up cages. They're quite a bit bigger than an Exoterra. But, you know, you got to keep in mind, I got 30, 40 babies at a time. So, you know, but for people who buy my animals, I suggest to them they get a 40 Exoterra, drill a hole in the glass, and people freak out. And it's the simplest thing to do to drill a hole in the glass. You get the bid at Home Depot or whatever, watch a YouTube video, watch one of my YouTube videos on how to drill it. And, and I always help people along the way. I give them the whole process. You know, I, I spend so much time with people who buy from me, even people who don't buy from me, because I want what's best for these animals. So in a simple setup like this, let me show you this one. I'm sorry the lights are out, but they're all on timers. So um, so I don't know. Can you see in here? Oh, yeah. Okay. So what you got here is you got a water, you know, uh, uh, there, there's no substrate in this cage at all. And you can see them all. So what they have is they have that tube back there with those holes drilled in it. 
and they get security out of that. They go in there and they think they're hidden. They're totally secure in there. And then for their secondary security, which is actually their first source of security, is this water. Now, the water's crystal clear, and you can see them no matter where they go, but generally in the wild, it's not going to be that clear. So they, they hid under a plant, and, and they're gone. They're, they're, they're safe. So I developed this over the years, um, and it really works well because, as you can see, they're all kind of looking at me, but they're not freaking out. None of them are freaking out. They go down to the water for security. See that? Yeah. But over time now, since you can see them in the, in the cork tube – and you could see them under the stuff. You could see them up on a shelf. No matter where you're at, they, they can't really hide from you yet. They feel secure in that log. They feel secure in the water. So you don't have to tear the cage apart to find them. Now you'll take um, food. Hold on a second. You'll take uh, food on your forceps, you know, and you'll pass it to them. And they'll slowly they'll start taking food from the tongs. And they feel totally secure. And before you know it, they're just, uh, they should come to me. I don't know, it's, it's nighttime. So, but generally, all of these sulfur water monitors, my Mertens, my coming eye, everything in a setup like this, it only takes about four or five days. I feed every day. So it only takes about four or five days for them to become used to you. And they'll, they'll crawl right up on you and they lose their fear of you. So anyone who's buying from me, if you, if you take and set up a cage similar to this, or what's easier is the uh, Exoterra because you can find used ones on marketplace for, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. And then you won't feel so bad about drilling a hole in the bottom. But uh, again, you can see all that on my YouTube uh, and anybody who's looking for this. Uh, and then along with these water bottom setups, <coughs> there's other varanids that, you know, would not do well with a water bottom like that. So I, I designed another setup for like Audatria type monitors or, uh, you know, more scrub species. And again, it's, it's a small, um, it's a, a small Exoterra with um, a vertical, a vertical uh, thermal gradient. So I take a small Exoterra for these small monitors and I put one piece of bark against the back wall coming down into the front. I put a spiddly little plant. Uh, it's almost like a fake Spanish moss. I put that right over the top, and then I put the uh, heat lamp here, and they can thermoregulate anywhere on this piece of bark underneath the um, underneath the uh, the spiddly plant that I put on there. Again, they feel totally secure. You can see them as plain as day, but they they think they're secure. They think they're hiding from you. Um, and, and then they could thermoregulate up there. And then you just open the door, take a little tweezer, uh, you know, a little pinky part or whatever on a tweezer and pass it in there. Before you know it, man, they, they know you as the food monkey and they love you and you get them out onto their hands. And before you know it, it's so when people buy my animals, they're well used to that. All they have to do is get used to your face like they trust this, if you can believe it. So. In a matter of a couple, three, four days, they'll start to trust you, and then you can build your relationship with them. And by the time they outgrow that 40 breeder Exoterra, I tell people this, and it's true. You can put them in your backyard, and when you go out there, they're not going to hide from you. They're going to come to you for interactions because they're very smart animals. They enjoy social interactions with you like this. They look to you 
as uh, someone who brings them food and something not to be afraid of. So over the years, this cage has worked, and I'm telling you, it works with 90% of the monitor species that I've ever put in it. Yeah, we, we actually use uh, dog clickers for our ackies at the shop. We use yeah. dog clickers, and they know that that's a food response, and they'll come right up to the glass. and oh, Well, they know the back door opens. The back of the actual enclosure opens. Right. And they'll, they won't try to escape. They'll sit up there and wait for it, and we'll tong feed them, and then we'll click again, and you can pick them up and carry them around. They're, they're, they're great. I mean, like you said, they're, they're, they're intelligent creatures. So. Right, right. And I love the setups, too. We, we're thinking about something like that for uh, – it, it's it 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 need it meets all their security needs. It meets all their husbandry needs. You know, as long as you set it up properly, and I walk people through it. But yeah, once once you take care of, of course, their basic husbandry needs, number one, and then you understand how these animals think. That you know, security. That's all they're thinking about when they're this size. They they know their food for everything. So this kind of leads into the food thing. Uh, people say, you know, people, some people I think think I'm full of crap. I feed every day. I feed these animals every day. I don't feed them till they're full bellied and can't move. Uh, and then I, you know, I feed proper food like rodents are very, very small uh, part of what I do with my animals. As a matter of fact, my adults, they get hardly any rodents at all. Maybe every now and then if I got a rat or whatever, but mainly quail quail eggs of appropriate size um and fish uh you know stuff like that but uh rodents make up a really small part of any monitor's diet they they have they're so high in calories that um you know it really bogs these animals down they have a high metabolism when you give them an animal like that that they got to break it down and that's when you see the big savannas laying there all obese so birds are really good, and they're good because when I like when you feed every day, it, I could feed twice a day because a quail, there's not much to it. I mean, even the big quails, like you know, Nerf football size that I feed to my sulfurs, I'll give them two or three at a time, and literally by the end of the day, they're looking for more. Um, so, uh, yeah, the 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 type of food you give them and how they process that in their body is um you know uh, what gives you successful breedings and and whatnot like so if you feed a lot of rodents you're going to get a lethargic animal who's always digesting food or is not getting enough food because he's got such a large meal sitting in his belly these are not snakes these are active foragers active hunters they're constantly looking for food unless you blow them down so uh Feed them low-calorie items like fish, quail, quail eggs, and often, not a lot, but often. And that's that's they turn all of that caloric energy into egg production. Do you give any um, insects? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I use roaches, crickets. Yeah, even on the big ones. They'll chase it's, down the crickets. Oh, yeah. It's fun watching them hunt. We, we put in giant, you know, the extra male dubia and, and hissers in, in, in the acting enclosure, too, and same thing. But... Uh, we're pretty much on the diet. I mean, as far as we we make a meat mix because we have we have different types of, of carnivores and, and omnivores in the shop. But um, quail and quail eggs. Uh, somebody said shrimp. That's a good one too. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, a little ground up chicken heart with some some turkey and some hard boiled egg whites. 
but mainly right. the quail eggs and stuff like that just to give them. See, I, I never, and I'm not saying what you're. That's wrong. I never, I never suggest people feed any kind of processed food, any ground, anything. Okay. I got a story about that. Um, but again, like chicken hearts, you know what it is. I feel, I feel it's just convenient. You could go to the grocery store and get chicken gizzards and legs and. But man, I don't know. I, I, it's not too hard to go and find quail, a full quail, mm -hmm. and just to give them all of that stuff at the same time: connective tissue, brain matter, muscle, innards. Uh, you know, and it's all good for them. And they break it all down differently, and it, it does different things for their body to get it all at once. That's why I always tell um, folks: if you want to do a varied diet for reptiles, Asian markets are your friend. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. And you well, know what's crazy? I do keep some snakes here and breed snakes as well. They're all quail eaters too. I got I got rainbow boas that eat quails. I got emerald tree boas that eat quails. I got Mexican indigos that eat quail, quail eggs. It's just, uh, you know, the boas I will give rodents to because, you know, they don't eat as often. Yeah. But, like, I consider my Mexican indigos – I consider those like monitors. I'm a big garter guy. I, I love garter snakes, always have. And, you know, I'll feed them two, three times a week, smaller meals, but, uh, you know, the right, the right meals, not rodents. Uh, so a lot of quail, quail eggs and bullet and stuff like that. You also mentioned, you, sorry, you mentioned fish. What, what fish would you, you recommend? I use, I use silver sides like constantly my wife's in the business so i get them really yeah, really cheap i get big packages of silver yeah. sides and then once a year uh my buddy john it's you it's coming up it's it's usually in the spring he knows a guy who who runs up like a trout hat not a trout not only trout but where they stock the lakes you know so there's hatchery, hatchery. Bad, <laughs> yeah hatchery they got bluegills and all that stuff but he gets uh, fingerling uh, trout, and man, when they're when they're available, I'll buy three thousand at a wow. time. Freeze them and just slowly use them over the year. You know, throughout yeah. the year. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, food is definitely when it comes to issues with monitors. And I was guilty. I, I've had, I, I obviously I've I've had all the wrong things at some point. I had a you know I bought a Savannah monitor for twenty bucks at a show once. It was the worst pet I've ever had. Uh, it never liked me. It never wanted to be near me. Because why would you, if you're pulled out of the wild, shoved into yeah. a box and sent to America, would you want to hang out with somebody? Um, but yeah, I was Especially like, you. I was like, yeah, you'll eat uh, ground turkey and hamburger and you'll eat mice. And, you know, obviously that is not the diet I would feed it now. I also right, wouldn't right. be buying a $20 import Savannah monitor either. But Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of the food that we, we, you know, we like talking to Mike, though, but we learn how to use this from experience from other people and it may be the wrong experience and the wrong you know um advice but uh, a lot of the stuff like he's talking about the rodents we don't do that with the with the monitors uh, or the tegus as well because they it, it's a lot of fat content yeah. on them and everybody wants this chunky fat and, and it shortens their lifespan I mean, we're yes. dealing with a bunch of obese animals that were surrenders at the pet store right now so right so when i when i i tell people whole prey items like no processed ground turkey ground chicken none of that stuff because I'll, you know, to be honest with you, way back in the nineties, there was um, I, I, I'm I got to be careful here. God, way back in the nineties, Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> way back, <laughs> I know. 
Girl. Way back, way back in the nineties. So there's, you know, zoo people. They they have a board that they have to run all their yep. shit past. They yep. can't just do what they like. We're we got it made. We could do you know if I want to feed them a you know a, a daisy, I can go pick a daisy in my yard and feed it to them. I don't have to run it past nobody. So they had um, a diet that they came up with for raptors for birds of prey and. Some guy figured, well, man, I wonder how this would work for the monitors. So he started pushing it back in the kingsnake.com days. And I'm like, why? I, I, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'm a fair guy. I, I, I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. I went and got the bone meal. I got the centrum vitamin. I got the ground turkey. And, you know, like a freaking mad scientist, I'm in my kitchen with turkey ground up. Centrum vitamins. I mean, it, 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 it looked really bad. So as I'm making the balls, the little turkey balls, I'm rolling this shit up and I'm getting esophagus. And I, I'm not just I'm, I'm, it's esophagus like, you know, those things you put in your Aki enclosure under the ground yeah, seriously, with the yeah. ribs on it. Well, yeah, hunks of that stuff. And it was oh, really yeah. tough. And you know what? I mixed up about three meatballs, and I, I I looked at it. I slid it right off the counter to the garbage can. I said, "Fuck that!" Fuck that. Well, like, so we started we started chatting. Thing. We started chatting about this diet, and uh, the guy goes, "It's nutritionally equal to a mouse." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." I said, "You got a mouse shortage over there where you're at, or what?" You know, I mean. <laughs> How hard is it to get a fucking mouse? So I don't go for that grease because, you know, the, the stuff that you're getting in that ground turkey, it's their balls. It's their scrotum. It's the thing that hangs here. It's yeah, the thing on the top. Nice. It's the throat. It ain't it ain't no it ain't none of the good part of a turkey or a chicken. All that stuff is cut up and on a grocery store shelf. It, this turkey stuff is made into burgers or what I still wouldn't eat it. After I did that, I was grossed out by ground turkey. I don't eat no ground turkey at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just so, if you're if you're no, it makes sense. I never understood that whole thing either because you're you're basically trying to make a whole animal in a meatball when you could just go buy a whole animal. Well, like, and, and not not only that, you know, our bodies, and when I say our bodies, I'm talking about the human body, animal bodies. We're designed to break shit down that's what we do our digestive system is it's it's full of uh you know certain bacterias and and uh flora and 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 it's you know it's good i mean that's why they make you eat that yogurt and shit it, it's yeah. good to have stomach bacteria and reptiles are help. really good at breaking stuff down yeah, yeah. so why are you going to give something that's like 90 percent broken down to an animal and you know what clean up after that turkey mess when it comes out the other end and ain't no fun. So I, I don't use that. I don't suggest it to people. People do it. And, and I'm not trying to diss on anybody. Do whatever you want. But it's really, in my eyes, it's a lazy way to feed your animal. Lazy, cheap way. I mean, come on. How cheap is a quail? I get quails for 50 cents. Come on. Oh, yeah. No, we, we have our, our rodent supplier actually breeds quail. Uh, yeah. He brings, them, he brings them to us all the time. Have quail eggs. We have, we have shit. Ton of well, I have the same. We sell a lot, but. Trying to get people out of that mindset of, oh, you have to use Hill Science Diet cat food to feed your tegus and shit. It's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. 
Yeah, I because I know there, you know there's that guy in the wild that makes the turkey balls and leaves them out for all the monitors. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, yeah. come on, you sometimes you just got to use your head. Well, that, um, that was the way I thought when uh early <clears throat> early two thousands. First time I saw it at a Reptiles magazine, and then saw it at uh, Daytona was the uh, the Reptilinks. And I get it for certain situations for hard feeders that don't eat like rodents, but I never understood like I don't want to feed a mouse, so I'm going to feed a sausage of a mouse. Like what? Just yeah, because they, because they could buy a six pack of it and put it in their freezer, and whenever they're ready, see, I, I'm when I was a kid growing up, I had a lot of native stuff, so mm-hmm. baby garter snakes, you know, they they want frogs, hognose snakes want mm-hmm. toads, yep. so I, I had to kind of improvise. So I'm not going to kill any animals, you know what I'm saying? So whenever I was out and I found a toad or a I found a dead toad, whatever, not, not rotten stinking, but I put it in my freezer. Now, when I wanted my garter snakes or my hog nose to eat a mouse, I'd take it out. I'd thaw out that frozen toad. I'd rub the mouse or the pinky on the back of the toad, throw it in there. Boom. There's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, you know, taking the shortcut ain't always the best. Now we did that with our Eastern hog nose. We'd take the toads, freeze yep. them, and then we'd put the mouse in and let the, Toad defrost with the mouse in there. Yep. And, and got them switched. It took works like a charm. Yeah, it works great. Yep. Works like a charm. You know, um, like, uh, again, I don't want to get over my skis or however that goes, but like, you know, when I got the anthill pythons, people think of me as a monitor guy. I, I, I do a lot of different stuff. But <laughs> people are like, oh, them anthill pythons. You know, once you hatch the egg, then the real fun begins. You know what? That kind of stuff don't scare me off. I got a basement full of Australian monitors, and I will scent pinky legs, pinky tail, whatever it takes. I'll get it done. I, I'm not I'm not concerned with that. I might be, like I said, I might be blowing smoke up my own butt, but you know what? I I I, I do pretty good. So I'm not I'm not too worried about it. So this this is off kind of off topic. It's going back to a conversation earlier, and I forgot to ask it. So to go back to the similis. Uh, do you think the reason your your bigger ones didn't want to breed is because maybe I'm assuming they're probably imports, not captive bred. Well, these are all imports. There's no there's no but, captive breds in the U.S. But they're older imports. I think maybe the the other ones you had were younger and smaller, so maybe they aren't set in their ways of how they exactly. want to do all that. Yeah, it's always better the younger you can get wild caught animals. It's always you know, you have a better chance. So for example, like, um, like I was telling you about these, these cages and now I had to prove these out with my captive born animals. I mean, that's, they're captive born animals and they, they know nothing of the wild. So, um, when I retired my original, uh, trio of Burton's monitors, I traded them for uh, a trio of Varanus togienis, uh, the, from the actual Togian islands, so these things are fucking beautiful. They're jet black. They only get four foot. They're jet black on their throats and their chest. They have white zebra stripes and their snouts. They have uh, two white rings around the end of their snout. Hmm. These things are gorgeous. And again, I remember these from when I was young. Uh, one picture in a book from way back in the 90s. And I, I you know, talking with John Adranya, I was... It's like, man, one day, and those things are so beautiful. He goes, eh, they're not available. So all these years later, these became available, 
And when they came in, he was asking a lot of money for them. And they're, you know, a little bit bigger and they were wild caught. And I have all this captive born stuff. I didn't really want to deal with it. So uh, unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine had bought those animals and I didn't even know about it. So when I was selling my original breeder uh, Mertens, I was just, you know, talking amongst my friends and stuff. And uh, my friend mentioned that he had got those Togis from John. I'm like, really? Send me a picture. And he sent me a picture. And again, wing, you know, I, <laughs> you know yeah. I was all excited. And it was a lopsided trade. But you know what? I'm happy for my friend Steve because now he's working with, you know, a really nice uh, trio of Mertens. And I know he's going to do well with them. And I got the uh, the Togians here. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to set these guys up the same way I do with these babies. So I got them in the other room with larger enclosures with the water bottom. I got them from him. And he said, him and another guy got them from Chris Murray. He goes, ah, oh, yeah, take these things. I can't stand them. I walk in the room and I just hear them bouncing off the walls. So I put them in my setups with the security of the water and, you know, holes in the, the cork tube. So they, they're hiding, but they're really not hiding. And, man, I got them the first week. I got them tongue feeding. I had one out on my arm the other day. Uh, so it works even on wild caughts. When you meet their security needs, that really helps bring down their fear when they know they can flee. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, but now they're working out good. Now the Togis have never been bred in captivity. And that's really another hard focus for me. The Similis and the Togians, I got to do them. Well, that'd be awesome. So go, go, going back, go ahead, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead, James. Oh. Oh, I was just going to ask, what do you, what do you uh, recommend for someone starting out with peach throats? Oh, man, peach throats are great animals. It's another one of my favorites, top three for sure. I bred those way back in the day. Um, what, 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 what do you mean by what would I suggest for them? So I've got a three foot male that I got from a friend of mine. Um, okay. Super. And you know, you know how smart they are. Um, yeah. Handleable. Um, uh, oh, he razor, is handleable. He's handleable, but he's got razor blades. Um, oh yeah. Nails. So, so we're putting some, we, we put some rock in there to let him try to, you know, file his nails, nails down naturally. But I'm, I'm trying to make sure that again, like you're talking about within that I have the right type of setup for something that's you know, that large. Yeah. Um, and, and again, He's he's super personable. Come right up to you. Um, will come right out on you. Uh, but once he gets a hold of you, you, you feel it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta wear, uh, you gotta yeah, wear gloves I mean, with those guys. But uh, but I'm trying yeah. to figure out something I can build for him that would be. Uh, he's a display animal right now. So right. Well, let me show you something here. Cool. Oh, I got this female uh, sulfur in here. She's nesting. But uh, here, you want to talk about nails? Yeah. Those are like six footers. Just, just gently walking on you, uh, it, it shreds you up yeah. like a ribbon, you know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, just keep working with them. Um, if he wasn't as tractable as you're saying he was, I would say to set him up. So anybody getting, um, you know, fresh import, be it big or small, um, Varanus jobiensis, Indicus. Molinus, any of these riverine type animals, you could do. There's one of my Togis right there. Can you see her? Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. And and again, it's a real simple setup. You got the cork bark with the holes in it. Uh, they think they're hiding, but they're really not. And it gives them a sense of security. And as you can see, 
The water is their main source of security. This girl here is not, uh, you know, coming to me yet. But like these two here, this is a pair. Um, they'll eat right from the tongs. And this pair in here, the male that's in here, he'll he'll literally. I got a, I got a like a like a little kid. I got a. Well, there's uh, there's the male. So when I open this cage door, it's like you know, the little kid get away. You bother me. You push him by the head. I got to do that with him. And literally, uh, I don't know, almost a year I've had him. And they'll come, like I said, that guy comes right to me. They're not nervous no more. They don't bounce off the walls. Here's the barrel. Oh, man, that is just awesome looking. Yeah. Yes, but it's retired, so I got to keep the wife happy, you know. <laughs> a lot of work moving that thing. Oh, I bet. So uh, I, I hate to get off track, but you, you had another question, something about, um, well, we talked about taming kind of. Or, yeah. or you know so socialization some of the other issues uh and, and going back to some of the ones um one of the ones that i always see is and i guess i kind of tie into this is um uh we talked about savannah monitors being one, one of the unfor unfortunate animals in the trade uh because I, I think everybody i guess the price point made everybody think it's a great beginner monitor uh, yep and and it's it's just not it's not the the space i think required to take care of one and it's just so different from like a great beginner on Accia, so much better at a beginner monitor. Absolutely. Um, yep. And I think that would save so many people heartache when it comes to keep monitors. Everybody, the problem is everybody sees like black dragons now, right? I'm like, I want that, or I want a Nile monitor. I'm like, you're an idiot. You you've owned like a leopard gecko. That is not. You're not ready for that. I definitely feel right. like. With with certain reptiles, there's there's a process, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not one to always say, don't get the animal you want, because if you do enough research and all, you you can get the animal you want as your first animal. But I also don't think of a water monitor is probably the best first animal for, for someone to get. I don't care how much research you did. You know what? See, it's it's also you know these people who, I mean. Generally, my, my animals are kind of high dollar, so I don't get those throwaway pet people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, who's going to spend that kind of money and, and not take care of it, right? But for for the animals that are 20, 30 bucks, you know, these people, they're, they're in it today and are gone tomorrow. The problem is, you know, the animals suffer, number one. And number two, man, you got to ask yourself, what's your commitment level? I, I You know. Like I said, I'm down here every day changing waters, feeding. I mean, I change light bulbs. I rearrange things. It's 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 constant work. Of course, I have several animals, not a lot. I, I may have 20 animals down here, minus the the hatchlings. But you know, a monitor ain't a snake. It's it's a daily chore. You you gotta you gotta have some type of a commitment level. If not, you know, snakes, constrictors are great for, you know, a lower maintenance pet. If you want something that's really cool and, and, and depending on your commitment level, yeah, Mexican red lake tarantula. I mean, throw crickets in there <laughs> once a month and, you know, that's a beautiful animal. I, I've, you know, I've had one for since I was probably 10 years old. Great animals. And it, it, you really, I mean, you can forget about them. 
And then when you remember them, you go over there and it's still alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> Throw them a couple crickets and they're good. So there's, there's different animals for different commitment levels, you know. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the videos because it's the, the the question I ask about looking at the peach throat. My internet sh- took a shit. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. But do you, do you keep them like yourself pretty much, though? Yeah, yeah. I, you, you keep them like you would keep, well, like, um, um, so, yeah, like my coming eye, my togianus, my sulfurs, um, anything like that. More like a, a, you know, high humidity, high temperatures. Um, so I have a uh, question for you. So, like the the, the big gigantic paludariums now that come yeah. out, you know, they've got they've got like a foot deep water area, right? Yep. Uh, for a smaller species, I mean, for a smaller one, that that seems to work well. Uh, I, I noticed you have like tubs and stuff. Do you think you should black that out? Honestly, uh, yeah. put some film over it, put some PVC around it. Um, so I've got some ideas actually because we have a friend that actually makes cages and racks and and stuff, but um. I have pretty interesting ideas about that, where you can take the uh, the dual, the double front opening exoterras yep. like you're talking about, take the whole bottom glass out, yeah. you can just cut it and set it on something that's made out of PVC or, or you know, like a tub or something so that you can match it. Yeah, yeah I've actually really done that. Idea. I've inverted two exoterras on top of each other. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it doubles your cage space, but you know, um, yeah, you could do what you're saying. That's pretty much what all my cages are. They're boxes built on giant tubs. They're Hagen Laguna tubs, 300 gallons of water, but there's no water in there. They're dirt. I mean, the Merton's got water in it, but yeah, like my coming eye and my sulfurs, those are big. They're five foot by four foot by two foot deep and it's full of soil and then you just build a cage on top of it. But again, I see a, a problem a lot of people do. You know, uh, it's common names really suck. I don't like them uh, because there's a lot of confusion with it, too. And then when you say to somebody, oh, you got a water monitor. Well, they go out and they build <laughs> this big cage and they, they'll go to the tractor supply store. And they'll get whether it's plastic or the galvanized horse trough, fill mm-hmm. it up with water. That's great. That's it's great for your animal to, to swim, and, and that's great. But along with that, in that same swimming area, you should give them a place where they can wallow. They don't like to be like an alligator with their head at the top of the water. Sometimes they want to just rest in the water with their head, you know, level, uh, and, and not be always swimming. They just want to wallow and lay in the water. So a shallower area is good for some animals, too. Certain, uh, I like that. Yeah, <clears throat> I like that idea. But uh, you're talking about the zoopoxy stuff. We, I, shit's just running around in my head right now. I'm like, holy shit! I got to call a bunch of friends and we're gonna build something <laughs> fucking crazy. But yeah, because uh, I've got I've got this huge pond uh, that I got from DFW at Perry that's in my pet store. It's probably six foot long, probably three and a half foot deep, probably four foot wide. Uh, it's made out of universal rock material. Uh, but I'm actually getting a, a juvenile caiman lizard from a vet friend in Florida. Uh, and I'm building a huge enclosure around this pond. But now I'm thinking, oh, man, what could I do? Because I, I had a chance to get a pair of Mertens a few years ago. Uh, well, not a few years ago, a few months ago from Luke. Um, he had a pair of Mertens. And I think he was asking like five grand for them. But I was like, I, I don't have the setup to provide them with the necessary uh, you know, means to like, you know, right now. So right. Um, passed on those. But uh, um, I um, just, you know, 
cool stuff. I, I, I just, uh, I, I was look, looking at your Kings and stuff, and I'm like, oh, shit, man. That's more shit I'm going to have to get now. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but yeah, definitely with the Cayman Lizard, you want to give him a swimming area, but you want an area where he could just lay in the water and wallow maybe four inches deep. Even a full-grown yeah. adult, you know, just a wallow in the water. So, and, like, a, yeah. a, a good big branch that goes from land to water would work great because he can lay right on that. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about hanging, like, a broken branch kind of thing where it comes down and goes in the water, underneath the water, you know, a few inches, too, for that. For that yeah. So my Merton's enclosure, have you guys seen that? I've seen it, yeah. Yes. Okay, well, I had, when I designed that enclosure, I put a shelf made out of zoopoxy in there that's probably six inches under the surface of the water. Then it's two feet deep. But what the Merton, it's so fucking cool to see this shit. Um, <laughs> the Mertons will go up on that wallow area, the shallower part of the enclosure, and they'll they'll take their body and make like a C, you know what I mean? And they'll take their tail and they corral all the surface dwelling fish like the zebra Daniels and giant Daniels. And they'll corral them in their tail base like that. And then they turn their heads and they just go boop, boop, <laughs> boop and grab, you know, grab the fish as they're stuck in this C shape of their body. So cool, man. So cool. And see, that's something people don't see when they go, well, I gave it a big water bowl. No, the same, no. I'll be water bowls at <laughs> the same thing. Well, no. I, I say to people all the time when they buy my Mertens, I'm like, hey, look, you can get away with giving them like a mortar tub type water dish basin. But and you could give them a giant uh, like my like 300 gallon pond. But if you cut a window in there so you could watch them underwater, man, that's the way to do it. Because if you don't, you're cheating yourself because there's so much stuff that they do underwater. They breed underwater. They feed underwater. They, they, you know, they explore underwater. Everything that they do underwater, you would miss seeing that. And I got videos of them breeding underwater and, you know, doing dolphin dances out of the water. And just, <laughs> like I said, the tail corral, doing all kinds of cool behaviors. And um, it, it's nice to see that stuff. So if you put in a little effort for your animals and yourself, You'll see all these cool behaviors. So in the chat, our, our friends over at Ready's Rainforest, they do chameleons, but they said uh, they asked if you've raised blue tree monitors. They uh, have considered them. Yes, I have had blue tree monitors. As a matter of fact, I had blue tree monitors in the 90s, like some of the first that came in. And I, I was used to green tree monitors and black tree monitors. And when I got, with me and my partner at the time, we got, uh, I think it was like a trio of blue tree monitors and i had them set up in a really big enclosure but i had no idea how big they were when we got those things i was like holy crap i, I mean it, it's just amazing how big of a tree monitor mm -hmm. that that is they're cool they're I, great animals so here's i lost my i lost my green tree pair in the in the freeze in dallas but i took um one of those um lowe's storage big storage container things like eight foot tall four foot wide and three foot deep yeah cut the panels out of the doors, made plexi, had all kinds of caves and hides and stuff in it. It was beautiful. So here, Yeah, very cool. Here's my ignorance on tree monitors. Blue, green, and black. Different species, or is it a morph? No, they're all different species, okay. and there's a, there's another, a fourth, uh, uh, yellow? the yellow tree, yeah. the Resingeri. And is yeah. care similar across all four, or are they? Yeah, 
pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, you know, as far as captive husbandry, you could pretty much keep them all the same. Um, you know, you can get them to breed in the same way. And there's a lot of, a lot of people out there, Cody cop, uh, sundown reptiles. There's a lot of people doing great work with the tree monitors right now. My friend Asher green, he's breeding them, uh, really nice. Uh, you know, people doing good stuff with them. It wasn't like that a long time ago. I remember it had to be Oh three Oh four in Daytona. The first time I saw a blue one and I was like, Holy shit. I mean, it was just solid blue. Like that is amazing yeah. looking. It, yeah. it, it, when I first got ours, I looked at it and I'm looking at this lizard and I'm like, I cannot believe the color of it. It reminded me of like blue jean, like a mm-hmm. denim jacket. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And they are just so beautiful. Really cool species. Oh, and then of course there's the Bohemis too. The, uh, I don't know what a common name, but that's another, um, well, there's there's others too. There's uh, I believe it's called uh, there's the Bohemi, and I believe there's another one called the, the Canopy Guana, that which is uh, um, Keith Horneye. Yeah, Keith Horneye, really fucking cool, really cool. But you ain't finding them. Yeah, the Bohemi you can find, and Keith Horneyes. I don't believe they're in the country. So one of the other issues uh, that we had on that list of, of things that people see issues with, and we've kind of brought it up here and there, and it's really going to depend on monitor, but is substrate, proper substrate. Because I know uh, for some things you, you have not used substrate, and we've saw that. And, of yep. course, if, if certain parts of the hobby saw that, they would tear you apart, even though they it's stupid. They could, they could tear me apart all they want because, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I understand these animals, and hatchlings, they don't need dirt, okay? They need security. So above... Like I said, I was telling you guys, when you give them substrate and they're young like this, you've taken out their security. So another part of their security would be to dig in the ground. So they dig in the ground, except you never see them and you worry about your animal and then you dig them up and they're like, oh, my God. Like I said, you you can't hide from the giant monkey. Yeah. (laughs) So once, you know, even males, my male uh, coming, I monitor, he's five foot long. He's got three inches of substrate. He don't need it. I mean, it, it it's enough substrate to hold humidity in the cage, but he don't need a deep substrate. He's not nesting. Nesting females, on the other hand, I have literally two feet of dirt, and it's five feet long, and it's four feet wide. That's a lot of dirt. So I know when they need dirt, and I know when they don't need the dirt. And I know when it's beneficial for them to have the dirt, nesting females. And when it's not, little babies, you know, baby, these uh, riverine forest type animals. Um, With that being said, you know, I've been in this shit so long. I can remember, you know, it started off cypress mulch. Oh, yeah. Cypress mulch is the best. It's the best. It sucks. (laughs) Cypress mulch. It dries out so quick. And it's little, it sticks where, you know, yeah. Yep. splinters it's dangerous uh yeah it's it cypress mulch sucks but back in the day when we were trying to you know break ground on all this stuff and we're trying to figure it all out so everything advances like that so mm-hmm. it went from cypress mulch to you know then we'd add some potting soil or topsoil in it and it's getting a little bit better then you'd mix a little sand in it with it now you're mm-hmm. getting a little bit better then you top it with leaf litter. Now you're getting a lot better. 
Um, but I've always been the kind of guy, if, if I don't have to buy something, I'm a happy man. If I got to <laughs> buy something, it better be Johnny on the spot and do what I wanted to do. So <laughs> over the years, I would become like, uh, I don't know, a movie. I think it was Braveheart or the Gladiator, something like that. Remember when he picked up the dirt before he got in a fight? Yeah, yes. it. Yeah. Oh, I do that everywhere I go. People look at me like I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> These guys over here sniffing dirt. But if if it smells <laughs> like if it smells like earth, oh uh, man, that's that... sorry. My that's wife sorry. just scared the living shit out of me. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, she came up and tapped on my shoulder. I didn't hear her come in or anything. So, holy fuck, she come in so, like Dracula. Jesus. So. so uh, yeah, so, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to hear about the dirt shit now. Okay, here's here's <laughs> here's the greatest dirt story. If you have um, access to clean outside dirt, like from a depending on what species you're dealing with, so basically any of your water monitors. Um, uh, I'm going to try to keep this simple: water monitors, uh, uh, Indicus complex. Um, yeah, so basically forest-type riverine animals. Mm-hmm. If if you can go to a clean forest where the leaves drop every year, well, that's making soil. Every year after year mm-hmm. after year, the leaves breaking down, the trees breaking down, bark. You scratch off the surface and get down into where it's a little moist and pick up a, a big handful of that dirt and smell it. If it smells like the forest, if it smells like like wet earth, that's good stuff, man. And it, it it comes fully loaded with bioactivity, which is great for your animals. It's great for your enclosures. They smell great. Bring that stuff home, top it with some oak leaves, and man, you got great substrate. So when I got with my wife, her family owns a 187-acre 100, farm in um, uh, East Troy, Wisconsin. So... Um, we were driving around on the farm. Her dad took me out to show me everything. And and I see this giant pile of dirt. I'm like, oh, stop, Jack, stop. He's like, Ert. so he stops and I get out. I jump on this pile of dirt and I can just, I can hear her and her dad. I can hear her dad. What the hell is he doing? Oh, he, he, he looks for the dirt for the lizards. So this was literally probably, I would have to say, literally 30 tons of this dirt all in a mound Jeez. and oh man it smells so good i'm smelling it i got i got um isopods crawling in my nose <laughs> i got springtails bouncing off my eyebrows yeah. uh, millipedes centipedes and i was like i look over at jack and he's like do you like that i'm like no i love this he goes take as much as you want so uh that's where i get my dirt from right outside and what this dirt actually is is um so they got a big farm in a small community so every year for i don't know they've been there like over 40 years people when they when they redo their the beds around their bushes and stuff Mm -hmm. see they don't buy cypress mulch they mulch up the dead trees on their property and they put it they put around their bushes and stuff so year after year after year before I came along, this pile just kept getting bigger and bigger of like decaying wood chips. So once you get into that decaying wood chips that been there for years and years, 
uh, man, it's just all broken down. It's actually warm to the touch because it's, you know, yeah. bioactively breaking down. And, you know, when I collect them, sometimes I'll, I'll come across a Blanding's turtle nest and I relocate it because, you know, they're really uh, yeah. conservationists and they don't want me disturbing that stuff. And I don't want to disturb it either. But if it's good enough for Blanding's turtles to lay their eggs in it, it's good enough for these monitors. And they love it, man. So for the amount of dirt that you need to breed these larger species, you know, there, there's really no store-bought answer. I, I mean, you could, you could do it. I mean, people use sand in the, in the cocoa core and uh, that's nice for a nest box. But when you got cages, the size of these here, you know, it, it, it you gotta, you, you gotta think money and you gotta just go find some good stuff in the woods, man. Well, that, that was my question. Actually, what I was thinking about is this, for somebody who doesn't have like the endless, amazing dirt pile that you do it should be fun to go play around in but like if someone for nesting in in particular for nesting um you want something that's going to hold its shape when they burrow and things like that so is there something that you can recommend for for you know for for people who don't have access to that yeah for for you know animals that come from a more like xeric type soil like a sandy scrub type soil um you know uh, a lot of my friends are really good breeders, John Adragna and, and like all these other people I've been naming. Um, they use like, uh, I, I hope I'm not saying this wrong, play sand mixed mm -hmm. with the cocoa core and then top with the leaf litter. And you just, you know, year after year of the, the leaves breaking down and you keep turning that stuff in, uh, it becomes really good. And it's good for nesting, but it really for, um, uh, you know, these larger species that really need a lot of choices and options for nesting, I I guess you could use, like, but you'd be buying a lot of sand and cocoa core. But if, if you have, like, them black totes with the yellow lids, a lot of people are using them these days, mm -hmm. you could kind of cut down on it. But I, I I like to give them a full cage nesting. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I thank God I got access to this dirt. But everybody does. If you live yeah. near a forest or a fishing hole, man, go you go dig up the go dig up the dirt. Smell it. If it smells good, use it. Yeah, we've used peat with uh, the peat, the big bundles of real compressed peat, right? Uh, with a little bit of place in 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 you know places that we've needed before. It holds its shape pretty well. So right. it's like it's basically the same thing. It's broken down organic matter, you know. Right. I, I hate to break your balls on that. I learned the hard way with real peat. See, people say peat and, you know, to me, real peat moss is decomposed sphagnum. Okay. That's that's what I'm talking about. Sorry. I'm not talking about shit you put in your garden. I'm talking about broken down old sphagnum moss. It's all compressed and right. it smells so, like the dirt you're talking about. Right. And when you take that stuff and like way back in the day when we were experimenting with these soils, I went to the store and bought the big thing of, you know, actual decomposed sphagnum moss, which is mm, peat. Yeah. And the brick, like you said, big bundle, big brick, yeah. was rather dry. So I, I put some into a mixing tub, sprayed mm. a little water on it, started mixing it. Well, now a lot of it's going airborne and I can see it in the air. And so I put a little more water on it and then I'm mixing it and I can still see it in the air. And after mixing a little while, man, my throat, my throat and the inside of my nose started really getting, it was burning. So I realized, man, if that stuff dries out and it goes airborne, 
while I'm mixing this stuff and it burns my throat, and my eyes like that, uh, man, what is it going to do to my animals when they're in there with it constantly? Yeah. So I don't never recommend actual peat moss. I mean, I know some people call cocoa core peat moss, which doesn't yeah. go airborne. You know, it's a little so do cleaner. Think, do you think it's the acidity level in it? You think I do. Could be I, I do. I do. Now, so if for something like for Parsons chameleons, which I know Reddy's is on here, it might actually work really well for them because they need an acidic soil, you know? Yeah. Um, like I said, I can only vouch for monitors and, and my nose yeah. and what, what I've done. And, and again, you know, that's all it took was one time burning my nose. And I said, I'm not going to use it. But like you say, other people are using it for other applications and I'm sure yeah. it works great. Hmm. So much talk about dirt. James, yeah. is a, James wears gloves when he handles sand boas, so he has no idea what the fuck's going on. Right I do. Now. I wear gloves when I handle lots of shit. I'm cool with that. Uh, so talking about <clears throat> substrate, that's another one. Um, again, I, I go back to savannah monitors just because you see them so often. People get them so often. Uh, that's why I think people underestimate substrate for. Uh, everybody wants to put that in like a 20-gallon tank. I'm like, well, there's no way you have enough, enough substrate in your 20-gallon tank for that savannah monitor. Or enough space as it grows. Like that's one. That's that's a digging lizard. Um, yeah. And that's one of those where you've got to know your lizard. You know, if if it's if it if it is something that pretty much lives underground unless it's coming out to eat, you need to give it somewhere underground to live. Absolutely. Yep. You got to cater to the animal's needs, and and you know, and it, that goes back to the uh, your commitment level. If you're committed to a um, you know a, a forty gallon you know tank. Your monitors might not be for you if that's what you, <laughs> you know, unless you, unless you're talking about, I shouldn't say that really. Cause like, um, I bred my gill and I, in that Mike's monitor barrel out there, plenty of room for them in there. It was able, you know, plenty of dirt and it, it's really good. You just got to figure out the species, but you're not getting those for 30 bucks. No, no. You know, no. And that's, that's another thing that I think is really sad about that. So, you know, you're talking about trying to get some of these species that have never bred in the United States to breed. And, and they're, they're higher dollar animals and that's great. And I think that's the biggest problem with, uh, with savannas is that they still import them super cheap. So it doesn't pay for anybody to really try and breed them. So very few people do it because why would you do it if you can keep buying them for 20 bucks? Cause obviously someone breeding savannah monitors is not going to sell a baby captive bred savannah monitor for 20, 50, a hundred dollars. Yeah. But you, you know what? See, in this new day and age with the information out here on all these social medias and stuff, the way it is, you're, you're always going to have the guy who goes with his girlfriend to the swap and, and they see the Nile monitor for 15 bucks. Oh. And then they, 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 would you take 10? It's like, no, man, you know what? You asked me to take 10. I'm going to charge you 30 for it now. Just cause I, I don't like you. Yeah. I, I don't like you no more. So yeah. It, and, and then, because they've only spent the 20 bucks, they don't care if it dies. Yeah. So I give a lot of credit to the people who actually spend time to breed Nile monitors, to breed uh, Savannah monitors and, and, and stuff like that. And you know what? If, if somebody offers you, and of course you want to see the proof, but if somebody offers, uh, you know, a captive born Nile monitor or a Savannah monitor and, and they want, 200 bucks for it man it's worth it because oh, yeah. that animal doesn't know the wild it doesn't know vast open spaces you're way ahead of the game but then again it comes back to your commitment level and, and 
people who think of animals as disposable pets, you know, I don't know, go get a gerbil or something. They don't yeah, live no, that sure. long. Well, you know we what I mean? Have, um... We have a friend that actually produced salves uh, a couple of years ago. Andy Maddox produced. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Andy, Andy's a good friend of ours. So um, I didn't get my hands on any of them at that that time. But where's? Yeah, see like, now I, I got a lot of respect for that because, like yeah. you say, the reward's not high, but you know, uh, in your heart it is because you've done that animal right and you didn't. You know, it that no no animals are disposable. I shouldn't have said that about the gerbil, but. You no, know, you understand your, what I'm oh, saying. Yeah, we get your, we get your point because we deal with it. We've had people that have come in with um, they want to buy a ten dollar slider, a turtle, and then we tell them how much it's going to cost for the entire setup, and they're like, "Oh, it's just going to die in a week." Well, I'm not selling you this fucking turtle. Well, Fuck right. get out of here. You know, we've had that actually happen. Well, I mean, we I worked at I worked at a big box pet store for a short period of time, and I hated selling goldfish because no one wants to hear what you actually need. <laughs> to raise a goldfish and like, you know what i love goldfish i love feeder oh, yeah. goldfish i love arandas i love lion heads i love ryunkins i love them all man I, i'm a big goldfish guy the moment you say all right you want one goldfish all right well you're gonna need about a 10 to 20 gallon tank for one goldfish you're gonna need a really good filter you're gonna need all this I'm like well i can just put it in a bowl no no, no. you can't <laughs> you can't no i was like and I always love the, well, mine always live for a long time. How long? Like six months. They live like 30 years. What are you talking yeah. about? Like that's- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make a, you can make a Sunday dinner out of that thing when it's full grown, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh so another thing I was going to say, uh, about that cost and, 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 you know, whatnot, stuff like that is, is, um, so people who, you know, I know I, I, I've been around long enough. I know who's tire kicking and I know who ain't, you know, and, um, you know, someone will ask me, hey, how much I, I want. They'll give me a, a text like this. <coughs> hey, got monitors for sale. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> when you say that to me, you're lucky I even answer you. So I know this ain't going nowhere. And I'll say, well, sure. What are you looking for? What's your cheapest uh, one? I don't know. Yeah. What's your cheapest one? And then I'll, I'll show them, I'll send them my price list. And they're like, okay, thank you, sir. It's like, <laughs> dude, if you're balking at the price of my animal, we haven't even talked about what you got to yeah, keep it in the rest yeah. of its life. You know, I, well, I got so- more money into my cages. I got more money into freaking light bulbs oh, than absolutely. animals, you know? As, as soon as Mike accepts my friend request on Facebook, that's what I'm sending them. Hey, you got any monitors? For <laughs> yeah. Well, I, as soon as we get, hey, Sean, as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to accept you on the, the, right. the Polygem group. And I, I, we're not You're friends for- already. No, I sent you a request a long time ago. I think. You, you know what, man? Forgive me. I, I'm a dope. I, yeah. I don't, you know. Like if I don't I, accept I, it right away, it goes down in the list, and I just don't know it. But I will. I'll good, hit man. you guys both up for sure. Yeah, you're all good, man. I I have I have to like I have like five thousand friends all the time on the stupid thing. Yeah, you're so always I having to delete a lot of that shit. Yeah, I have to go delete people and stuff, so I miss a lot of shit. But I would look back and see. I was like, why am I not friends with Mike? And I was like, has it responded yet? I'm like, well, son of a bitch. Let me. Hear well, it. Sean, Sean, great. Do I do I see you like on other live chats and stuff? Uh, yeah, I've been on this one. I've been, uh, I'm a sponsor for, uh, Chris snakes and the fat man. Uh, oh, on, that's, that's exactly why I recognize your name. Yeah. Chris was great. I love that guy. Yeah, I love Chris. Yeah. He was on earlier. I was talking shit to him. So, uh, don't say, yeah, don't say good things about him. He'll get a big head. 
No. Well, oh my God! Can, How can, can it get it. any bigger? I think he's coming to. I think he's coming to Conroe in September. Him and Antoine. So we we'll hang out with him again. If Good it gets any bigger, we'll have to trade in that hat for a five-gallon bucket. No shit, right? <laughs> God, I hope he loses that hat. <laughs> no, uh, that hat is awesome. <laughs> um. So I do want to ask you UV lighting because I, I I I know I've talked to you before about uh because you don't it's I know that's a, a touchy subject when it comes to the hobby so a lot of people he's got that shit eating grin he's waiting yeah I know he's waiting up, he's waiting until everybody <laughs> shut the fuck up I do what I want <laughs> well you know what man I, I you know Ryan McVeigh's a friend of mine and I love him uh and this is the same thing I'm gonna say like I've told him and I tell everybody so I go way back. I go way back to where there probably wasn't even UV lights. When they started coming out, you know, yeah, of course, I'm a, I'm an animal lover, so I, I'm I'm going to look into it and check it out. Um, when I seen the price of them, again, it's if it's something that I like and it's good, I'm not I don't care about price. I mean, it's if it benefits my animals, great. But I'm not stupid either, and I'm not you know I'm not saying it's a sucker thing, but their marketing, their dis, and I'm not talking about Ryan, and I'm no. not talking about VivTech right now. I'm talking about whatever ZooMed or Arcadio. And again, I it's come a long way since I've even thought about this stuff. So back way back in the, in the day, the UV their marketing ploy was okay. Their, their light bulbs are fifty bucks. It's like holy shit, fifty bucks, you know. Um, and at the end of six months, they're not effective at 18 inches anymore. So you got to put it lower. I'm like, dude, I ain't, uh, my lights are all permanent. I'm not up and down. I don't have a little string pulley or something that I could raise and lower it. And then they said, and then once you get it, whatever, 12 inches close to the animal and another three months go by, yeah, just throw that light bulb away. It's go get you a new one. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? $50 light bulbs I got to change before they even burn out. I'm used to halogens that burn out in three months. I'm replacing them no matter what. So their marketing scam, I, I, you know, of course, Ryan's, he says, his last a lot longer, which whatever. Um, I just, I, I, I never did it. And then through the research that we've done over the years, all the people in the hobby, like, Genutes, uh, uh, you know, Mark Bayless going way back in the day. Um, you know, we found that high heat and vitamin D3 will synthesize into a calcium intake. It's worked for uh, over 30 years for me. And like the newer, the newer, and I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not, I love my animals. So that's my number one concern. So I know there's the, all the arguments where they kind of cracking on old timers like me, gatekeeper, or whatever, which is bullshit. I, I'm not no gatekeeper. I don't even know what that is. So, um, what what I think about UV lighting is this. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I love the Lord, and I think the and and this is a science filled world that we're all part of. So people don't like to hear me say this, but I don't give a shit. Um, so going back to the days when I was making naturalistic enclosures and I had some, you know, 
of the big guys in the in the monitor world back then, not even big guys, big guy, one guy I, I didn't really see eye to eye with. And he used to always say, well, you know, your lizards know that that's a fake plant. I'm like, well, yeah, of course. It's a fucking <laughs> plastic plant. Of course they. I said, so you mean to tell me, do I think my lizards think that that light bulb is the sun? Fuck no. Of course not. It gives them what they need. So nobody ever, nobody ever in this life is ever going to recreate God's son. There's, it's never going to happen. And in trying to do that, there's, you're going to be missing a little part here. Or you're going to be adding a little bit too much of this here. And I want to see over the years, I want to see many years of, what these new LED type lights, because, you know, some of these LED lights, <coughs> they have dialed in as sterilization lights. So what's to say, you know, some Jamoke didn't have a bad weekend and he threw the wrong node into one of these light bulbs. And now my animal is going to have burnt retinas or uh, the perianal eye is going to be, you know, screwed up in some way skin cancer and you know i guess when dr francis baines puts her thumbs up on any uv lights i would consider it i still wouldn't change because i've been doing this too long and and i'm a, whatever so i don't want to get really into it but no, i've no. heard stories of uh, like i use vitamin d3 and, and high heat for all of my animals always so my animals are running a large load of vitamin D3 through their bodies at all times, which is converted to calcium through high heat. So if I said, okay, yeah, let me try these UV lights. And I, I put a UV light in with my animals that are loaded with vitamin D3. And now these UV lights actually synthesize the, the, the D3 into a higher level of calcium. I'm going to poison my animals. I'm going to over calcium my animals that are going to die from you know a, a calcium poisoning basically um is is the word that i get from you know the top leading uv expert in the world so i think there's a lot more that needs to be done i hope the best for anybody who's doing that stuff and i love ryan and erica i really do um i just don't think they've been tested enough and, and again i'm from the old school you're not going to replicate the sun. I'm not going to replicate a plastic plant to look like a real plant. I mean, it is what it is. Some things just aren't meant to be. Well, and a lot of the problem with the way that things are done right now is that if, if something new comes out, this is the way it has to be. And there's, there's only one way to do it. And, and you know, this, cause I've, I've argued with people and I'm not, I mean, I, I've been, I was, I was doing leopard geckos for years and I still have those purest people that I, I still don't see eye to eye with on, how to take care of them properly because I did it for so long that I knew what worked for me and, and make give them long, healthy lives. Now, when you're going back in the scientific part of this, the D3 uh, has helped synthesizing the calcium or actually helps them absorb it into their bodies. Correct. So Absolutely. The lights, the lights themselves are doing the same thing, but I think that's one of those things, like you said, there's going to be a lot more testing done. Um, our buddy, Sean Colley, um got a, a a batch of lights in uh, that were UV, not there. They weren't, they weren't VivTech, obviously. 
um, and hooked them all up to his chameleon enclosures and fried all of their eyeballs. Like you every know single one of them passed away. Um, so that what you're saying is some that get a bad batch like that. It, it is very real. Uh, but like you're also said with this, the social media and this news and, and everything's out there. If you don't, it, you get, you get just roasted. If you don't sell a UV with a diurnal animal, you know, and we sell them at the pet store. I, I get the marketing behind it. I do agree with the lighting. Uh, I will tell you that Ryan's lights, we put on our chameleon cages at a certain distance. Uh, they seem brighter, more active. Uh, but of course, like you said, there's no perfect amount that we, we know how much D3 to give them because we supplement with D3 and calcium all the time, you know? Right. Uh, so it's not an exact science, but like you said, 30 years you've been doing this and you're doing it the right way. So there is a lot to be said about experience over something you read on fucking Google. Well, you know, and then, and then another part of it is too, it's like um, where I live up here in Wisconsin, <clears throat> I, I live, my house is on a well. Okay. So we have ground, beautiful groundwater, Wisconsin mm -hmm. groundwater. Um, plus we, I have like a, a filtration plant in my house. That's, you know, it's, it, it's, it removes any possible iron. Of course, there's a water softener on it and this and that. But, if, you know, you're going to go through and do all of this and say these things about lighting and this and that. But, you know, 90% of the people live in towns and in cities mm -hmm. and they're concerned about uv and and whatever to, what it doesn't have to be uv then they'll turn on their tap water yep. and give it to their animals it's like there's so much chlorine and uh chloramines and stuff in that water it's like hey look if we're going to be purists let's go all the way through it let's not give them tap water let's you know what i mean it, it where does it end uh and again i you know, again, it's just, I think it's a dangerous thing to say this is as close as you can get to mimicking sunlight. Hey, look, if I was really worried about sunlight after all these years, I've always said it, man, I'll make sunning cages that I could bring my animals outside in the natural sun mm -hmm. in the warm months where I live. That's, I would be comfortable with that, that their bodies are okay with that. But the only problem is I've been giving vitamin D3 to my animals for so many years, generations. They're, they're, if I stopped giving it to my adults tomorrow, every egg that I have in the incubator is still loaded with vitamin D3. So now if you put uh, uh, UV on top of that, you know, like I said, you, you run a high chance of poisoning calcium. I mean, it, it, it it is what it is. I just, I'm not, if it's not broken, I'm not going to fix it. No. I, I'm not, you know, and I hear all the arguments about, well, you know, yeah, you can put two guys in a jail cell and they'll still breed. Yeah. And I'm sick fucks. Of course. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I'm not saying that's the end all. The be all is, is sexual reproduction. How about, how about longevity? Longevity. Let's, yes. let's go with longevity as a, as a standard for, you know, judging what your animals are and, and for what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just, 
and, and I got nothing against people want to do it. So here's my, here's my thing. If I did do any kind of UV lighting, I would literally put it on an hour in the day and maybe an hour before lights off. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Well, cause yeah, they're not laying out in the sun all the day. Yeah. They got to escape it at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I've, I heard, you know, I heard it all. Like I said, I heard it all. I'm not changing a thing. If people want to do it, I wouldn't talk bad about it. Well, and I've but- said on here multiple times that there's more than one way to do this stuff, you know? So Absolutely. my, our, my co-host Robert makes racks and he gets shit for racks. And I'm like, they work. Like I get, I get, if you don't want to use them in certain situations, we get it. But in certain situations they work. There is in this hobby. There are very few, very, very few where we're like, you cannot do this one thing. Right. Right. A lot of times there's, you can, there's several things you can do and there's several ways you can do it. And so when I talk about like the way you do stuff, you are known for breeding monitors and you've done it successfully for a long time. You don't have UV lights that would fry some people's brains because they, and those people probably have never (laughs) bred a monitor lizard in their life. But the reason that'll fry their brains is because they're told they yes. have to have UV light by some source or their mentor or whatever. But if you break it down scientifically, what he's saying is 100% oh, yeah. accurate. D3 is what actually helps them absorb the calcium. It's like it's like the cabbage thing with the oxalates binding calcium absorption. That's scientifically proven. If you overfeed, if you feed a bunch of tortoises, a bunch of uh, um, cabbage, it's going to bind the, the, the oxygen or the, the calcium uh, absorption rate, right? Right. D3 is what and what what it does is it this the true sunlight breaks everything down to so that they can absorb the calcium that you're giving them the D, that's what the D3 is that's what it gives them is the D3. All right nephews let me let me Uncle sum Mike. this up Mike let me sum this up real simply like I said before there's more than one way to skin a cat you can do anything as long as it's not detrimental to yourself or your animals fine do whatever you want to do be very careful using vitamin d3 along with uvb that's all i got to say about that and always uh, whether you believe in the god uh, jesus and god a creator whether you believe in that or not remember what happened to japan when we unleashed our best sun on them fucking people okay you're not going to imitate the sun you're never going to mimic the sun 100 percent. and if you don't believe me ask uh hiroshima and nakasaki how that worked out for them that's so that's that's why i like having like someone like you on who does done this forever because it goes against i didn't go against i don't say, say it like that but there's definitely a newer age in the hobby where it's uh, and, and it's not even just the hobby. It's the world we live in where people live in extremes. It's an, yeah, yes, it's, it and information is it, everybody's an expert and yep, nobody's yep. an expert. I, I'm from the thing. school where, you know, I was an apprentice cement finisher. Nobody called me a cement finisher for three years. I was a fucking piece of shit learning. I was an apprentice. I was up and coming, but as soon as, you hit as soon as you 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 earn your stripes, man. You cut your teeth. Now you're somebody. You need experience. And I'm not saying, you know, the thing is, people go on Google or they see a YouTube video and they think, oh yeah, this guy. You know, don't even believe me. Do listen to what I'm saying and research everything. Make your own choice. 
but don't think you're an expert in two years. You know what I mean? Well, and look, there are definitely people in the hobby who were in it for, have been in it for a long time, have not changed anything. And there's definitely issues with how, how they keep, but then there are definitely people in the hobby that have been doing something for 30 years and the way they do it also works just like the new thing that everybody's doing. Yeah, it may not work for everyone, but it, I mean, it, there are, like you said, there's multiple ways to do it. So like, like, yeah. I, I just hate the cancel culture thing on this. Like, you well, know, I'm, oh, uh-huh. he doesn't use UV, so fuck that guy. I'm not doing anything. It's bullshit. Well, social uh-huh. media is the worst. I mean, we've talked yeah. about before. Um, when Kabilka, Kabilka got kicked out of a <laughs> out of a ball python group. I didn't know that. <laughs> they, 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 they basically they, they kicked him out of a ball python. I'm like, really? What the, what the fuck? fuck? The number one breeder in the country, and you're like, you're going to question what he's doing. So multiple ways to do it, multiple ways to do it, multiple ways to do it. And, and then it, I guess it just boils down to like the, um, the outcome you're after. So like, you know, rack guys, they're, they're obviously, you know, if you keep stuff and I'm not, I'm not against racks for like ball python, certain things. I mean, I'm not against it. I, not at all. Would you put dry mark on in a drawer system of any kind? No, it's, a, it's a, one that wants to move around a lot. Unless you've got, yeah. unless it's a huge fucking drawer, like it's kind of- <laughs> right. And if you do that, to me, you're an idiot. That animal deserves more than that. Yeah, you know they want to look and see and, and and explore. And I know guys who do that, but it, it just depends on you and what you're after out of you know whatever you're trying to accomplish as a hobby, as a business, or whatever. Like you know. Somebody who's got, you know, a, a facility that, you know, floor to ceiling. Excuse me. No, you're good. Floor to ceiling, all these, you know, uh, I call them um, sock and underwear drawers. <laughs> and that's, you know, if that's what you want to do, open drawers and look at, you know, snakes for 10 minutes and close the drawer and go to the next drawer. I want to see my animals sitting on a rock. I want to see my animals crawling on a branch over a a plant, you know, um, uh, again, that might not be right, but so I went shopping with my wife, which I rarely do. So she me to fucking store. Um, and I, I'm like, what are we doing? I'm looking around. I'm like, what are we got? Ball pythons here. There was, there was fucking drawers all on the wall and it was all socks and underwear. I'm like, holy shit, man. I thought they were breeding ball pythons in this fucking place. <laughs> so, but, but that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of like, like a boutique or something where, yeah, I like to see my animals. That's all. Well, and I've said before, I think as a, uh, as breeders and, and monitors, Elizabeth, I, monitor, monitors are different than snakes. We've said it before. You can't, I don't feel like there's a, a cheap way to really set them up. There's not a, a simplified version that I think people like as much as like a simplified version of keeping a ball Python, right. In a drawer. Well, with well you know, again, I agree with you from my point of view, but you know, going back in this shit, when I used to argue with that other guy who was like King of the Hill at the time, uh, he's not kind of King of the Hill no more, <laughs> but it was always, you know, bashing on me because I make naturalistic setups and it looks nothing like it in the wild. That's not where they're at. And, you know, they, they live on a, a junk pile of boards. And I'm like, you know what? If, if I caught an animal on a junk pile of boards, like I've done my whole mm-hmm. life, garter snakes <laughs> hunting by the railroad yeah. track, it ain't pristine area. But when they come to my house, yeah. they're going into a beautiful setup. 
That's not, the bottom fucking line. I'm not gonna, yeah, we've all flipped crash piles. We've all flipped Well, I'm not going to build a, a crap enclosure <laughs> that looks like downtown Thailand to put a water monitor in it just because they live you know in what? downtown there's, Thailand. There's a, zoo, there's a zoo here by my house, Brookfield Zoo. And as a kid, it was so fucking cool, to be honest with you. They had, I think it was a corn snake. So they had a corn snake in this, you know, not a really big setup, but it was it was like a, a stump with the top cut off of it. And it had a piece of glass over the stump. So it was like a, a covered hide. Yeah. And the corn snake would stay in there, but they had like a broken Pepsi bottle and a license plate and like a piece of fence. <laughs> that was pretty fucking cool. You know, I mean, at it's least it was something for a, too. A, exactly. Exactly. So that that's just my point of view on it. And, and again, uh, back in, in those days, and people still do it, and it's really, it kind of has a name. It's called um, LCD, the lowest common denominator. You can breed these monitors. Uh, I mean, I know people who have, you know, those old Baker racks that are metal. Yeah. And they'll they'll put a tile on it, and they climb these metal racks, and they bask on these tiles, and you know they they just it, that's just not for me. I mean, you can do it, and you can have success like that, but I just want more for myself and my animals. That's all. It's it's just a personal preference, and I'm not bashing on them, or you know, I hope they don't bash on me. It's, it's just there's more than one way to skin a cat. The bottom line of this whole podcast. Yes. Yep. All right. It is. It has gotten late, and I have not eaten dinner. <laughs> I so. haven't eaten yet either, so yeah, I've been running nonstop. So, <laughs> yeah, um, there was a lot of stuff in this episode that I think is awesome. And I now know Sean is ready to get back to to work. Oh yeah, I've got stuff. all kinds of I've got all kinds of fucking ideas now. <laughs> well, let I'm me know. Hit, hit me up if you ever want to talk ideas yeah. and caging and monitors or anything. I'm I'm all I'm, I love helping people, especially if you're looking to do it. I'm not saying my way, but you know, with a with an aesthetic to it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so we put on the expos, but I also own a pet shop, and 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 my reptile shop is not like any other shop that I've ever been into. Uh, where I all my animals come from directly from my vendors that vend our shows. Uh, but I have a lot of displays. Like I'm I'm always looking at naturalistic stuff. To I was a rat guy. I I bred leopard geckos by the thousands per year. Uh, and and I've moved away from that into okay. Well, this is what I want people to. You know, and I, I like I said, I have a pet store, so their setups are pretty basic for the because I want the people who are taking them home to be able to set them up and use them. But I can't just keep it that easy. I've got to make some cool shit in there. And so yeah, I'm, well, I'm you know what? Playing around with stuff like that. I look at it this way. Um, I my house is kind of like people come and they say, "Oh man, this is like a zoo. Oh, this is better than the zoo." So <laughs> when people come in there. And they say, wow, I never knew reptile keeping could be like this. Yeah. yeah. I feel so accomplished because it's good for the animals. It's good for yourself. And, you know, think about that. Not everybody has a breeding operation. Maybe somebody wants a ball python, right? Mm -hmm. But they want it in their living room. So they want to set up a nice cage with some wood in there and plants and you know, God bless them. That's great. That That's yeah. what I'm all about, man. So there's more than one way to skin a cat. Well, that's what I was trying to say earlier. As breeders, we need to not sell animals to people as if they need to keep them the same way we're keeping them. I mean, right. for, for you, yes, yeah. it makes sense. But like I keep, I do a lot of Samboas and I keep them in racks because I have a lot of yeah. them and they work in racks. 
But that's not what I'm suggesting to somebody when I sell them. I'm right. suggesting a cage and a setup with all this and that. I'm like, mm-hmm. because they're not a breeder. They, they've got a pet. That's their pet. Right. And they want to see that yeah. pet. And so p- breeders have got to get away from going, oh, yeah, you can get five of those and put them in a rack. Slow down. Yeah. They, they don't. Not everybody has to breed. Right. Yeah, oh, I agree. hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and that's basically, you know, I mean, for most of us, that's how it starts. You're, you're, you're a hobbyist. And, you know, when you like we were talking earlier, um, you, you got to learn to walk before you crawl. You got to learn to crawl before you walk, before you run. Yeah. So when you gain some experience and you say, OK, yeah, I want 10 ball pythons. So you might be looking at a rack system rather than, you know, 10 set up you know, beautiful setups, but I'd still do the setups. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Sean, before we, when, when we get off, I got to ask you, my, my dad in the chat, uh, he's going to get into town early on uh Friday and he wanted a good barbecue okay. place. So I'll have to get some recommendations for barbecue places from you in, gotcha. in college station area. Uh, but, I can uh, hook him up, <laughs> but Mike, thanks for coming on. This has been oh. awesome. Yeah. It's been badass, Mike. Anytime, man. Anytime, guys. I, I love talking to shit. I, I live this shit. I love it. And yeah, if I could help, you know, one person, one animal, I've, I've done my job. I'm happy. Yeah. And, and well, I'm definitely going to be picking your brain. I got some ideas I want to run by you. So yeah. I'll definitely have to get you back on. Maybe we'll, we'll break into like a little more on some of the species. Because I mean, you've got, you've got species one that, that just people don't, it's not, you don't have the, the Nile monitor, crocodile monitor, savannah monitor. You don't have the things that people, think of when they think of a monitor but you have really cool shit when you think of monitors i appreciate that and um you could check me out on any of the social medias under mike's monitors or michael stefani on facebook and instagram and all that stuff mike's monitors youtube instagram facebook he has a website he's old he's got a website check out the yep (laughs) i got i got a website uh mikesmonitors.com so yeah, hit me up, and, and again, I'm always happy to talk animals, especially if you're looking to do things kind of like, I don't know, naturalistic and stuff like that. I really, like, I love my animals, but I love my cages just as much, so. As you should. Again, anybody, go go check out Dave Kaufman's videos. Search Dave Kaufman, search my monitors, and you'll find those videos, and he does some amazing videos of the cages. Uh, it just, they're for in someone's base in someone's home not in a zoo setting they are i mean even in a zoo setting they'd be amazing in a zoo setting yeah they're pretty badass for a zoo too yeah i appreciate that guys so oh uh, and again it was great thanks for having me on i really uh i enjoyed myself tonight it was fun awesome uh if you'll wait around one second as we log off thanks everybody for watching uh next week we'll be airing interviews from the brian college station show we're taking the week off so we're going to interview some folks this weekend at the show and i'll have that ready to go next week um again uh if you need if you do need uv bulbs uh check out this deck uh 15 <laughs> off you can use code yeah, gumbo 22 just gotta do that yeah yeah it, it, trust me man i mean like i said uh i got nothing against them uh i would be careful with them and definitely don't use vitamin d3 if you're using uvb and a yeah i think that's a big thing people don't they go to the store yeah. the pet store and they just buy the calcium that's on the shelf and they don't pay attention to which calcium they're buying exactly. off the shelf exactly uh, and and, and, it, and it, since we're kind of doing little plugs here uh i've been using sticky tongue farm mineral indoors uh probably since 98 something like that since they first started i I love the product it's great um 
and I use it on every street. Same, same. We carry it in the store. We sell it. We we keep it. We use it. Love them. Yep. Yeah. And then the uh, the Zupox. If anybody's feeling crafty and you want to really like, if you want to do more than just uh, I carve some foam and whatever in the back of your thing, check out the Zupox. That really makes that. Well, my employees have no idea. I'm about to fuck some shit up next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lots. Hey, of sp- you know what? Once you start with that Zupoxy and you, you know, it's a little intimidating at first, but go to that um, Polygem Zupoxy Vivarium Construction on Facebook and, you know, join. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, accept you in. And there's so many good artists and uh, builders and you'll really get some great ideas. And it's not intimidating. Once you get it and you, um, you know, people think of epoxy. They think about, you know, down to a little milligram with, with pouring epoxy. This is a, a putty. So basically, you just take like a wad this big and another wad this big, that mix bag. it together. And <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not no real scientific stuff. It's really good stuff, though. Well, yeah. And that's because everybody, I think people start hearing epoxy that that's when they, uh, they picture like the, in the movie when there's a bomb about to go off and the clock's counting down. They're like, once I mix it, I got to start moving real quick and everybody gets panicky. Now, uh, I use that epoxy, too, but for a different application. And that's, yeah, it's more time sensitive. Zupoxy is yeah. much better. So, all right. Thank you all for uh, coming on. Uh, hang out. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you in two weeks. But listen for our episode from Brian Call Station. And good night. Oh, thank you all very much. God bless.